Welcome one, welcome all to the seventh episode of the BTD Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Joseph, and with me, somehow out of some miracle, we have all eight debaters in the Queen's Finals here to talk about the tournament. So, introducing Julian. Hey guys. Jessica. Hi. Joseph Wo. Hey yo. Andy. Hello. Eddie. Hello. Neil. Hello. Sarah. Hi. And Alina. Hi. All right, cool. So uh, first, uh, let's hear a little bit about yourselves. So I know some people have answered the question on the podcast. We can answer it again. How long have you deba- been debating? And then secondly, how have you gone about improving at debating? Because that's something that I think a, a lot of people are, are, are thinking about. I And not everyone has the same answer. And I'd like to hear how you guys kind of improved at debating over time. Anyone want to start us off? Sure, I'll go. So I was actually on episode five of this podcast, I think the one with McGill. Um, so because of that, I'm not going to tell you guys how long I've been debating because you guys should go watch episode five and give Joseph more Spotify money. <laughs> but as to for how I've been improving at debating, I think there's kind of a couple main ways that people um, can improve at debate. So the first is kind of just practice more. This is like the really generic advice on practice makes perfect. But in debate, it's kind of specifically true. There's no like rigid curriculum in debate. You kind of just do it a bunch of times, you realize what works, realize what doesn't work. And then I guess the second thing that um, I found specifically helpful for me that you can also do in your spare time is uh, just, just watch debates, watch debates of really good people, WSDC, WUDC. Um, you know, you can have a debate on the background if you're like a sweat like that. Otherwise, you can float them if you want more intensive help. But yeah, just keep, uh, you know, keep debate on your mind some of the time and I think you'll get better. Okay, so yeah, I'm Sarah. I've been debating for around four years now, I think. I technically started at the end of grade five, but I was like really, really bad for the longest time. Um, For me, I think there's like two ways that I got better. I'm actually really lazy, so I hate watching rounds. So for me, the best way was like, one, just doing a bunch of practice rounds because I found out a lot of the mechanisms a lot of the analysis that you use in different rounds are pretty cross applicable so just practice a lot um and secondly like occasionally if you have the time span for it, reading articles is always good i prefer watching documentaries on youtube because i like the vice and the vox ones more than the economist but teach their own. um okay so for me i think okay well first of all it's me jessica um I've been debating for like two and a half years, almost three years now. And I think the best tip that I've gotten for practice, there's not only a particular tip I would say comes to mind, but I think debating with friends and debating people who see you debate again and again has been so helpful to my improvement because you kind of get to know them better and they can tell you what you should improve because they see you debate so much that they kind of know who you are as a debater. Okay, hi. So it's Alina. So for me, I think I started a bit mainly during grade eight summer for me. And my first interaction with debate was when I attended my school's debate tournament. And they just gave me a briefing over how debate worked. So like arguments, like how to make them refutation and stuff. But I'm not gonna lie, it didn't really help. So what happened was like over the summer, I took I took EEC classes and I went to like the tournaments they suggested, like the beginning tournaments. And I think that's largely where I started to see improvement because I just got a lot of practice. It was like consecutive weeks 
and each tournament had like four or five rounds. So I just got a lot of practice in and I got to hear the good debaters in the out round. So I guess that's like my start with debate. Was that the uh, the year that Leo Zhu won? I I have no idea. Won what? Won what tournament? The Applebee tournament. No, I think it. Was, I think like as like I think it was Sarah Wang. Like I think she won. Oh, very cool, very cool. All right, cool. Hi, I'm Joseph. Um, really glad to be here. I've been debating for about five years. I made my first appearance in like in-person tournaments a few years back before the COVID pandemic, uh, which is pretty cool. I met a lot of cool people, but of course, I wasn't engrossed as I am uh, as of this moment. I think I have three broad pieces of advice for people to get better at debate. The first and most important one is probably to focus on one or two goals that you really care about. Uh, like, of course, you're going to have a lot of problems in the debate, but highlighting one or two of them is the only way that I think you can like actually materialistically see your success and see your own improvement. This also makes it easier when you can directly ask judges for feedback on those one or two goals uh, and, and slowly inch forward that way. Uh, second is always to just generally judge debates. Um, this goes back into like watching rounds as well, uh, being able to flow them because you internally have to weigh out arguments when you decide to give calls. And also you kind of like realize what teams are missing sometimes, which is pretty important. Um, the last thing is just like, you know, watch things that you enjoy that you think could give you some good ideas and content um, generation for rounds. Uh, like personally, I love Hassan Minaj. Uh, yeah. so. Did you know who I was when you debated in person before COVID? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, and this is no disrespect. I did not know. Who no, you fair were. enough. What tournaments do you go to before? Uh, I think I went to Heart House and like, was it Western? I don't remember. Heart House Western. Yeah, okay. If you didn't go to the small ones, you wouldn't have seen me debate in like, uh, in, in like out rounds and stuff. Uh, okay. Uh, hello? My name's Eddie. Uh, I think I've been debating for like three years. Uh, and like to practice and get better, mostly it's just taking classes. But uh, if like to practice individually, usually just set up a video and then flow it. Or like you just prep for 15 minutes and then you watch the round until the position that you want to practice. And you give a speech and then you just like play back like what the guys actually said in the video and uh i think that way that like you can just learn some really good content yeah hello my name is neil and i started off debating with my parents and really they got in the way yeah of course I didn't, oh, I oh, oh like that i thought you meant like you did like bp with your parents or something no 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 obviously not they don't even speak english yeah, so I, I got frustrated debating in Mandarin, so I, I went to take actual classes. But then I found out that, like, they controlled my money and they control, like, where I live. So I still couldn't beat them, even with logic, but that was fine. And um, I started debating, like, two and a half years ago. And I think everyone already gave the best advice for, uh, like, getting good at debate. So my one advice is to uh, get a good partner and you'll win. <laughs> Wait, Neil, where are you from? Are you also from Toronto like everyone else? No, no, I go to the same school as Alina. I'm, I'm AC. Oh, you're also Appleby. Oh. Uh, All right, I'll, I'll talk about uh, your speeches later, but I thought they were extremely good. All right. Uh, is that everyone? Uh, sorry. Oh, uh, Andy, yes. Well, I didn't forget yeah. you, I promise. <laughs> um, so 
Hi, my name is Andy. Um, I've been debating for almost three years now, I think. Um, I think the way that I improved in debate is, as I think some people say, is just watching a lot of videos. I'm a very example-heavy learner, so I think I kind of like taught myself debate through like WSCC videos where I just put them on in the background while I was like, I don't know, doing something else. And I think it's really good to like just learn fundamentals, learn how good debaters do the fundamentals really well. Cool, cool. Thank you very much. So now you've met our esteemed guests. We'll go briefly through the Queen's debrief. Uh, I just want to ask you guys in general, how was your experience? Uh, did you like being back at Queen's? I know some of you didn't get to go to McGill or BP Nats. So Queen's was your first in-person experience. How was it? How are your hotel shenanigans? Anyone want to start us off? I really like Queens. It was so fun rooming with Alina. Um, yeah, I tried to do her nails, but she basically did not bring sun protection, and her UV lamp is actually toxic and cancerous. But the tournament itself was really nice. I actually quite like the motions. I think you're going into them later. Um, it was really nice meeting everyone, uh, but the bagels are a bit dry. I didn't like the bagels very much, but their pasta was pretty good. And overall, it was really fun. I think in-person tournaments are a lot better. And it was really nice, like, interacting and speaking with everyone. Yeah, I'll go next, because, like, I interacted in a shenanigans in the hotel room. So what happened was Sarah tried to paint my nails, and it was all fun because I got new nail supplies. But Sarah scared me into not curing my nails because she said I'm going to get cancer from the lamp, which was unfortunate. Um, And I didn't like the breakfast there, but I like it better than the other in-person tournaments I went to because the GA was just so much nicer and like people were actually centralized there. So I just got to talk to a lot of different people that I otherwise wouldn't get to talk to because I live in a very rural, unknown place called Oakville. Alina's lying. It's not that far away. It's like, uh, it's like... We're like 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away from uh, Toronto, maybe. Yeah, but like no one knows where Oakville is. Okay. No, Alina, 50% of everyone here right now is from Oakville. Yeah, we have two Wasp kids as well. That's that's four people in Oakville. Ah. Yes, I found uh, Queens very interesting. Uh, Kind of terrible in terms of like weather. I think that was the biggest thing for me because it was literally negative 30. And then I came back and didn't have chapstick. So my like entire face fell off. I just want to reiterate how insanely cold it was at that tournament. Like, we had to walk between Queen's campus, and like, it wasn't as bad as walking between McGill campus, but but in that weather, it was pretty bad. Um, aside from the weather, though, I think Queen's was a pretty well-run tournament, um, except from some round three shenanigans that we might talk about later. But yeah, pretty good. Food, also pretty good. Um, the bagels were actually cut in half this time, so already one up to McGill. Um, yeah, so I can go next. Generally, I thought Queen's was really, really fun as well. I think it would have been more fun if it was less cold and we could like maybe walk around the place. Um, I think a hotel shenanigan, as Joseph likes to put it, that I encountered was before Sunday, which is before the break. Um, I was a little upset because I thought that I wouldn't break because I didn't know how round five would go for us. Luckily, we did eventually end up breaking, but um, I-, I guess it was just a little bit of a silly moment for um, everyone in that room. Yeah, so uh, I agree completely with Andy here. The weather was abysmal. Uh, I typically don't wear a lot for the cold. I just kind of walk through it. But like this time, I actually had to zip up and put on clothes for the first time. Um, I think that generally the food was really good. I wish I could have had more, though, because at the end of the day, I was still starving most of the time. Um, in terms of the hotel, as per usual, uh, there was a significant lack of water. And me and Kevin had to like walk out of the hotel at 2 a.m. to find it. 
Uh, yeah. There was no water in the hotel? No, no, like the tap water was really awful. Oh. Yeah, that's Kingston for you. Okay, cool. Glad to hear Queens was pretty good overall. Um, we'll talk about the motions in uh, specific um, one by one. We can talk about how they are. There's a few There's a few specific ones that uh, we'll go over, but let's get into round one of the in rounds. So round one has an info slide. The death of the artist is a theory that biographical information and the interpretation of authors holds no extra weight in the interpretation and meaning of their artist's work. This house supports the death of the artist. What do people think about this motion? Did you like it? What cases do you run? And what do you think are the best things that you can run in, the, in this round? Uh, I did not like this motion. We were on Gov, and we talked about how this, uh, how basically viewers have uh, a less enjoyable experience because they are constrained in how they can interpret the art. We missed like a bunch of arguments here. I think that's pretty much the exact like strongest kind of gov or not maybe not strongest but like one of the key parts of the gov case that you can run so i think that's right um i also think that this one probably is op weighted but we'll hear about what happened in people's rooms first okay so personally i can go on this um so in my room i didn't really like our judge and i really disagree with this call no, I'm joking. Josh is judge just. Okay, so I judged oh, oh, you and ran. you won. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. We ran two main things. So the first is we talked about the aesthetic value of art because that was likely to be the main content that comes out of OG about how, like, for example, art should be valued on its own instead of being considering, for example, the societal context that it's brought in. Uh, second lens impacts the society. And the way that we saw this motion was majorly impacting basically artists who have done immoral things in their life because that is the main context in which the death of the artist is something that's uniquely bad, right? So we gave a bunch of examples. We said that, for example, Pablo Picasso, if you guys didn't know, um, done a lot of immoral things in his life. John Lennon from the Beatles did a lot of immoral things. So are we still able to appreciate their art? Are we still able to admire it? Or should we consider, for example, like the societal conditions that they were brought in so that was kind of the two prongs of our case we basically said that um for art that is good uh and for art that is for example important or societally or socially meaningful then it's still important to consider the societal context to which it's brought in right so i think jessica gave this really good example about like the mona lisa and how it's important because it like reshaped the portrayal of women um in like the 1500s 1400s um and why it ought be important that we consider the artist and historical context in doing so but then the second prong was kind of the more important prong um, and basically we said that if the artist was immoral or if the artist had committed wrongdoing in his previous life or his or her previous life, um, and that kind of bled into the art, then that was exclusively bad, uh, because that meant the art was kind of tainted with arts that were immoral. So the primary example that came in around was about Kanye, um, how, for example, a lot of people, the art he makes is critically acclaimed, but he's done a lot of shady things in his personal life. So we don't think that that should be admired. I think for Julian and I, this is a really enjoyable motion because we've had a little personal debate going about this for a while. So it was nice to actually be able to talk about it in the full scope of a debate and have Julian back me up on my opinions for once. Is Julian like a stan of the artist doesn't matter if we, we like the art or what? I want to be employed in the future, so I won't answer this question. I mean, I don't think that's that bad. I think it's a legitimate opinion, but maybe it might not be in like five years. Okay, cool. Any any other takes? Anyone hit each other in this round? Eh, seems like no, not. We didn't, 
Yeah, we didn't hit anyone. We were just in some random room. Yeah, fair. Round one's kind of always like that. Do people think of... Did In any of your rooms, do you guys hear, like, good or interesting extensions on government, specifically? Other than the stuff about, like, the the main case on the fact that you're more restrained in interpreting the art because there's the biographical and social context that you're kind of queuing into? I guess I can talk a little bit about this because we were actually on closing government. Um, we didn't end up beating our opening government, but I think there were a lot of opportunities for us to do so. Um, I think the first thing that we said that I think was pretty good was that we extended on the idea that there was just restraining in the form. Uh, and we talk more specifically about discourse and why art is really complex and you can't really understand fully all of it like by yourself at one look. And therefore there should be like discourse either online or through friends and that the depth of the artist means that people are like and the discussions of it are more likely to speak about their own personal adaptations as opposed to what the author meant and that the debates going on whatever um, would likely be on your own personal inter- personal interpretations um and i think there's also something really important that joseph or my partner joseph Lowe brought up which is that oftentimes if you attach the author to the art and there's more like standing there's more um obsession over these sorts of art which oftentimes means that you have like you know Kanye fanboys who maybe support his anti-semitic views and how exactly would that happen on gov or like why wouldn't it happen on or why would that happen if you're on op um i think the way that we ran it was or what we like meant to say i suppose uh is that because you do not con- like connect the art to the artist there isn't as big of a connection as to like a really good piece of art as opposed to the artist um and therefore you don't get as much like obsession over what the artist means or or, like the artist's personal life which means you don't like support maybe the other things that the artist does outside of just their art and their career right i think that makes sense i think that you're more so gaining an appreciation for the artwork that is created without doing like idealization or like forming cults of personality around the art itself which means that artists and art or yeah art is evaluated on its individual merits rather than who created it as being important and if there's like the death of the artist people won't really care about who the artist is which probably and i heard this interesting argument in the room that i judge which i thought was like reasonable but not shown enough which is that like you 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 may get more appreciate more appreciation of like smaller artists who are creating good artwork as well but don't have the name to back it up because like you're going to realize that just because a like a famous artist makes um some kind of art you're not going to inherently value it or it won't be much more popular there's like other things that make that popular as well which are kind of difficult to prove around but i think that's a reasonable extension that you can go for as well um seeing as people didn't really like this motion did people want to say anything else or we can just go on to round two as well Okay, let's do round two then. I think round two is a bit more fun. So round two is an info slide. During the pandemic, public health authorities modified the release and messaging of information in anticipation of public response. E.g., in March 2020, the CDC downplayed the effectiveness of masking in order to discourage public gatherings and prevent hoarding of personal protective equipment. They heavily emphasized the effectiveness of vaccines in order to encourage their use. The motion was this house regrets the decision of many public health authorities to optimize for anticipated public reactions in their messaging during the pandemic, as opposed to strictly stating facts. 
Did anyone hit each other in round two? Yeah, Sarah, go for it. Okay, so I actually really like this round because after the miserable thing that was round one, round two was really fun, and I do like the motion. So for context, Alina and I were on OO, and I personally think this motion is slightly easier on OO, or at least for me it was more intuitive. So our case was essentially two parts. The first was giving the principal justification um, because our OG, and I think most OGs in this round probably would have ran some sort of principle and basically the principle for this motion on op was just saying it's justified insofar as like even though we have to restrict your rights um if your rights to like i don't know horde masks mean, means that like i don't know like a blue collar factory worker can't buy a mask to go to work then reasonably it's justified for your right to be restricted so that was the principle justification and then we basically just ran the practical on how, like, you know, this optimized messaging was good and reduced COVID cases in the pandemic. Um, I really like this. I love our judge. Her flow is so detailed. Uh, yeah, I'll leave the rest to you, Alina, because I don't remember that much. Yeah, so I also have, like, decent good memories of this round, especially after contrasting round one. And I think like our judge was really, really detailed with her flow compared to our round one judge who didn't flow our case at all. <laughs> so our round basically went pretty well because our OG also debated like they're in grinds, they like do debate and they gave like a rather strong case. Who are they? And I think uh, it was like Luke and his partner, like oh, Luke nice. saying. Yeah. yeah, and it was a pretty good round. I think like the crucial thing that basically put OO above the other teams that I guess like makes it slightly like easier on op is that we weigh the principle for people to have a right to their lives over other people's principal right to choose what to do with whether they wear a mask or not or their right to know the truth and that's something that like og couldn't end up refuting us at least like not in a round and neither could other teams and that's what placed us over and i think like the judge also like the one piece of feedback the judge gave us for our case was like don't only prove why like doing this action is like why not doing this action is bad also prove why doing this specifically is something that's like positively good i guess so i guess that's the feedback yeah it makes sense you should always yeah. do both parts in your case i think we needed a bit more impacting like our impacting we had it but i think it would have been better to give a bit more illustrations and i think that was part of the case yeah exactly like once once you get like pr to proving the point the impacts are the easy part right and people like like historically under impact over and over um because like once you get to the part where like people won't have masks you get to say like healthcare workers can go home in higher rates and not attract COVID and be able to work for longer, which means that they can support more patients. Um, it means that they can get people in and out of the ICU faster to save more lives, right? There's a ton of things that are important that like I see debaters all the time. They get 99% of the way to the impact and they just don't say the easy hard hitting impacts. So uh, yeah, do make sure to do that. That's really important. Uh, so we were on closing opposition for this round, and our opening opposition ran basically what uh, Sarah and Alina ran, which is that this makes people not do uh, bad things. So our extension was like, what is the counterfactual? And so how we framed it was that like at any given point in time, what you know as like the fact is likely to change as new data comes in and predicted models are like uh, actually shifted and new vaccines are tested. 
And so this actually allows the government to seem more trustworthy and more consistent, uh, which uh, won us the round because it allowed us to like flip all of government's impact. Right, I think that's the strongest gov argument, right, about how people will stop trusting um, the WHO or the CDC if they see that they've lied, right? So they're just going to stop trusting them, and that's what won my round that I judged. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, oh. What? Yeah, you go, you go. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to ask himself to what Eddie said. Yeah, so I, I think our strongest point was to flip the trust point and just talk about how, like, you're not... Like the two, the two things you can do is either you just release information that's going to be wrong in the future, and then you go back on your words, and that kind of like places more mistrust, or you just like admit that you don't know, which is extremely bad in like a situation of a pandemic where the citizens are supposed to look up to the government for like instructions on what to do. And then we also added the impact that like companies also need to have like consumer confidence to operate within like a pandemic for them to like still keep up with production and all that stuff. And yeah. Yeah, the company's point was was also very good. Wait, could you expand on that a little bit, right? So, like, why is the WHO or the CDC going to be acting in ways that preserve consumer confidence? Or, like, why would that be a good thing? Because that kind of sounds antithetical to what the op point says. Uh, I think how we framed it was basically politicians have incentives, uh, like the ones that are putting out this information, have incentives to seem reasonable. And so they're also going to uh, take into account what the government has said in the past uh, and like just combine it with the new data that they have to make it seem reasonable. And that gets more trust by the government. Okay, wait, I'm just gonna add in before Jessica starts. Like, I don't know if this is a viable frame, but what Sarah and I said on OO is that the government is unlikely to always be lying about their facts. So instead, we say it's like when they're making and releasing general statements, they focus on other things. So the motion says, like they said, masks aren't effective. So we're saying that in their messaging, they deprioritize focusing on talking about how important masks are to like helping the pandemic and instead prioritizing the messaging of how effective vaccines are instead. So we just tried to like outframe the gov claim that like you're going to actively lie a lot and you're going to get called out for it. And then we just gave structural incentives for why this will happen. Yeah, that's good too. It's likely not to be like straight up lies. You're just kind of manipulating the message to have a certain narrative that maybe isn't fully honest, but isn't necessarily lying and won't be treated as such. Yeah, I think like that frame like obviously isn't bad, like it's good. Um, but I think like part of the, I think it could have been easily dealt with. And I think part of the reason it wasn't was because like we took a second in on one. But I think like in a really like high bracket room, if this motion were run, I think maybe a better frame for op about explaining like why like distress wouldn't happen or preempting that gov argument would probably be to explain why like it's kind of difficult to see whether or not the government is actually like lying in the first place because information about COVID changes constantly and there's constantly new updates so it is quite easy for governments to just say well ah, yeah this was true like a month ago with the information we have then but like it changed after a while so distress is unlikely to fester but I think there's a lot of ways to go about proving that on OO so that was the way we did it. That's another way you can do it. Yeah. Okay, so 
me and Julian were on CG in this round, and our OG was pretty strong. Like, they ran a principle of information. They had something about how um, it, like, helps with people masking and solving the whole pandemic. So when we had to run an extension and we had to choose an extension, it was pretty difficult. And we did have, like, a little bit of passing notes back and forth about this. But we ended up going with two things. Our first was a principle kind of on information, but we kind of directed it more towards talking about the role of government. And here we just kind of proved why governments are not only not objective, but why they're going to be actively bad at choosing which kind of optimization to go for in terms of what information is good or bad. So that was kind of where we went with the principle. And then we ran a second extension on arming contrarians and how like it worsens polarization through the fact that you enable people like spin doctors or already anti-establishment movements that use the fact that the CDC has no like central messaging to kind of enable their rhetoric and enable their their um like whatever they're trying to say. Jessica's real for that. Um, I actually quite like this round. Um, I think w- this was one of the most like clear cases that we ran, and I think our extension was pretty solid. So yeah, it was two prongs. Jessica ran this ran this like really fat principle for like three minutes, and our judge ended up really liking it. Basically, how having correct information is a uh, is a prerequisite to uh, autonomy. Very similar to the round that we hit her at McGill. But the second prong, which I kind of liked more, which is the one on basically polarization, because now when the government, or not, not when the government lies, but when people are able to frame it as the government kind of lied to you, now there's a lot of pundits that are able to weaponize this to increase anti-vax sentiment, right? So you think about like the Joe Rogans of the world or the Tucker Carlson's of the world, they're now able to cite actual studies which say that masking was effective, that the government lied, or they could say that vaccines didn't stop transmission to the rate that they the government proposed that it did. And then they can use this and kind of straw man the role of the CDC or the role of the American government to be like, hey, these people just straight up lied to you. They don't want to see you push past this virus. They just want to keep you at home, stuck inside. And people are more likely to buy into that. So that's really harmful because first, it hurts people in the short term. But second, in the long term, it decreases the legitimacy of, for example, further lockdowns or further vaccine policies. So it's bad on both of those fronts. Yeah, and I'll just add one thing. I think it, as you said, doesn't really just apply to like edge people, right? It's just people who want to go to work who are like willing to follow the laws and the com- and the comply and comply with what the CDC or WHO recommends, but only if it actually works and that's what actually is most effective at stopping spread. They as if they're making a decision based on false information and they otherwise would have wanted to go to work because it's actually not that dangerous or the transmission isn't likely to affect that many other people, well then obviously they're just going to do what they want in the future because they know the information they get isn't reliable. Yeah. All right, uh, I'll just go and give some thoughts. So me and Andy were on OO. Um, we ran a pretty stock case in terms of just being able to fundamentally save lives. Our frame was that people tend to either overreact or underreact to certain bits of information. Um, and this is just a tool to, for example, get people to move in that direct direction um, and possibly like you know, remove the chances of people mishandling that information in the first place. Uh, I think that um, because of government, initial principle argument we might not have won the round like me and andy were talking about this after and we were like okay we might have taken a second um but i still think that we won on the practical of just being able to fundamentally save lives uh now that i'm thinking about it uh there's just a few responses i probably could have given given as the principle 
One idea that I thought of was just that COVID gets exponentially worse over time and that we should probably maximize saving people now and being able to manipulate these policies. And that um, given that how COVID can, you know, for example, spread and mutate, um, presumably individuals that have the right to this information to protect themselves have higher chances of getting COVID in the first place. And that's why we should ultimately, um, you know, enact this change now as the lights trust. Yeah, that's the frame that I thought um, was pretty good after I heard my round that I judged. That op could have said that people are like, it was slightly different than what you mentioned, but it's basically the idea that people perceive information in ways that are not super effective at fighting a pandemic. So, for example, they see really large numbers as like either not really being significant to them because those are statistics and it's difficult to imagine like 10,000 deaths or like 15, the difference between 10,000 deaths, 100,000 deaths, things like that. Um, or they're likely to have, or they're likely to, um, overvalue like more, like more descriptive things that they can imagine happening to them. So like if they describe certain symptoms of, uh, COVID, they might, yeah, like serve it. So this applies specifically to vaccines, actually, if they can imagine those like harmful, um, side effects of vaccines, uh, it might be good to just lie to them and say that like, well, actually this is. Uh, not nearly as severe and it happens in a very small number of people so you should just go ahead and get it even though i'm pretty sure it is a lot of the side effects happened rather adversely in a large number of people but was still worth it in order to pr protect people and as a result um it was probably a good thing that you wanted to do yeah i can add a little bit to i think what nuance our case on opening opposition i think what we basically said was that they're different groups of people within pandemic. So for instance, there are maybe like healthy 20 year olds who maybe could go outside um, during COVID because maybe their immune systems were a little stronger, but the government should still, you know, say that everyone must go under lockdown in order to maybe like flatten the curve and protect the more vulnerable citizens in the pandemic. So like the elderly or children, for instance. And I think that was something that our judge really liked around. And also it was really strategic against, I think, I think the gov teams in our round tried to talk up more about vulnerable actors. I don't think they did it particularly persuasively, um, but I think it was also something that was like really strategic against that because we beat them on their metric. Yeah, sounds pretty good. I think that this round's pretty good. I like this round. Um, I had a good time judging it, and I think there's a good clash to go back and forth. Alrighty, let's move on to round three. So motion for round three is... This house prefers a world in which social media was founded on a subscription-based revenue model rather than an ad-based revenue model, i.e., one in which most of the revenue comes from paying customers, sorry, paying customers instead of ads. I can go on this. Um actually funny story for those that didn't go to this tournament. What basically happened was that we got an old motion that was, I guess, tangentially related to this. It was about social media algorithms being forced to show Canadian content. And we all saw the motion. The draw was posted. We all went to our rooms. Uh, and then like five minutes later, after standing in the negative 30 degree cold, um, I think somebody told us that the motion had changed. So we're all like, shit. And then we all went back to the GA. We got a new motion. That was this motion. Um, we were a CO for this motion. And our OO were some debaters from our school who ran a quite solid case. They basically ran the stock O case about how you decrease accessibility because um, 
basically you're, there's a high economic barrier to entry because you pay money. And secondly, a better free flow of information because that means there's better products comparison and innovation. So we kind of said three main things in our extension. The first was this characterization that the non-subscription service is likely pretty bad, right? Because if they make the subscription or if they make the free version of the service super, super good, nobody was going to buy the subscription version and they'd all just use the free one instead. So that was to say that the subscription version of the service was probably pretty bad. It probably limited a lot of important features, like, for example, DMing people, like commenting, like features that make social media really alluring. Uh, the second thing that we said was that sub subscription social media is inaccessible to the worst off, and those are also the most numerous actors. And then the third thing that we said, which is kind of the unique part of our case, was we said that since this motion is basically retrospective, it basically operates such that, I don't know, in 2006 or in 2008, wherever social media was founded, it would be founded under a subscription model. So it would probably not be as popular as it was today. So what that means is that no one would buy social media at all because it was seen as too expensive and it was seen as a toy for the elite. And Jessica also gave a pretty good example here. She talked about how Facebook was basically started by Mark Zuckerberg while he was still at Harvard. And it was originally used to collect the phone numbers of people at Harvard. So what that means is that social media is kind of just seen as like a toy for geeks and nerds and nobody really wants to um, pay it or nobody is interested in it. So basically that led to a numerous amount of impacts. That meant that you got less connections of people between um, uh, like, you know, between the people that you know, but also between people across the world. That meant that, for example, artists were less able to spread their work. And it meant that activists were less able to organize, for example, shows of dissent. So basically, if it was founded under a model that increased the barrier to entry, then it just wouldn't have gotten that popular in the first place. And that was a far worse world that we envisioned. We took a second this round, by the way. That's a strong case. Did you lose your opening or like what happened? Okay, I told you about this. I, I told Jess about this afterwards. And basically, we thought our case was like kind of fire. I'm not going to lie. We kind of thought we ate in this round. But the problem is that because we, we thought that, um, this is kind of my bad. I didn't do a lot of weighing against our opening in my whip because um, I thought our case just inherently added a bunch more refutation and a lot more positive content. So I thought we ought to be weighed uh, over them. But apparently the judge didn't think so. So this was the second that we took in this tournament, and it was quite sad. The one second. You're good. Don't you worry, guys. I also want to add that, like, I think a part of why we didn't come over our opening is because we used the same wording on our impact, even though it was different. So that kind of led to a little bit of confusion about what whose case was whose. Our CG also had a really good extension this round, and I'm surprised they didn't take very highly, but... They, it was like Andy and Dennis, and they ran this extension kind of just on why in their world, companies have more control over their own company so that platforms like Twitter can remain like a free speech platform. And I thought it was really interesting, but I think it didn't end up becoming very highly weighed in the round despite the novelty it has, especially in debate circles where people tend not to run more central, centrist, centrist arguments. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that, like, the case sounds interesting, but I think the impacts are kind of hard to impact, you know? Like, I think probably the best impacts that you want to have are, like, uh, mitigating political polarization, um, discussing uh, more political topics, uh, stuff like that. I think that's, like, kind of the best stuff. And also, being able to speak out against governments and corporations are probably important as well, particularly when, when they have close relationships with companies uh or such so i think that those are probably the better impacts you can give but if you don't give them it, it is really difficult to weigh yeah so Aaliyah and i actually hit um 
Andrew and Maldestrom, their clothing just great. The cards would be horrible if they were closing off for contacts here. OG. And I think it was like Jerry was also our oh, I don't really remember who his partner was though. Um, I think like this round, so we ended up taking the first, but it was just kind of messy. So in OG, we ran like the stock expected OG case. So we did some preemption on why, yeah, I'll talk a bit louder. Um, I did some preemption on why accessibility would be relatively similar on both sides of the house because, like, of reasons that I give. I don't remember, but we gave, like, decent reasons, I suppose. Like, how over time it becomes cheaper and cheaper and how, like, even if the model changes, there's still incentives for individuals to want to use social media and how companies have incentives to make it accessible as possible because the more people use it, the more exposure they get. And... I think part of the reason we ended up winning was just because, like, no op teams really responded to that preemption that came out in first. Um, so that was part of why we won. But we also ran, like, the stock gov stuff on, like, privacy, data leakages, um, accountability. We also ran some stuff on, like, how you get more competition. But, like, that was kind of washed. But it wasn't meant to be our main push anyway, so it's fine. But I, it was kind of funny because I think one of the reasons why this round ended up being so messy, and I think this might have also been a problem for Jessica and Julian based on like what they were saying earlier, it was because there were a lot of like similar things everyone was trying to win on. So everyone kind of had like the same tagline of like accessibility or privacy or like quality content or something. But everyone just used like the exact same argument titles. So it became very confusing, like tracking what content was new, like which argument on accessibility, which version are you talking about? So I think that's something like we can all take away, like actually having more in-depth titles. But I think the round was relatively fine. Our judge was really good. Her feedback was so detailed. And, I love her. Uh, yeah, I love Meg. Uh, yeah, love I think that's her name, but such a good okay. judge. Fire. Yeah. So the preemption basically was never responded to in OO and in CO either. So like it was like an automatic like W for us. But I guess like the reason why the round got so messy for this motion specifically is because for these sort of motions, there are only so many possible clashes. So you know there's going to be a clash on accessibility and you also know there's going to be certain clashes on like the quality of content being served and how this is going to work out and how corporations will react differently. So that's why every single team tried to like get a piece of every single clash. So the end of it being really, really difficult for like the judge to cleanly weigh our content like overall in the round. Um, it overall ended up being like a rather solid round. And I guess like part of the reason why is that we were OG. So we avoided like a large part of like the really messy part. So we just managed to like land our impacts and we just got away with it. And I really liked our judge because she like flowed and she gave us good feedback and Sarah and I have probably debated against her before in uni tournaments. But it was a, it was a solid round, but like Sarah just refused to speak first after that round. No, I agree. Like I spoke first that round because I was like, I probably shouldn't make Alina like first speak everything. <laughs> and then after that round, I, I was so traumatized. It's like there's a reason why I'm a second speaker. And this is the reason, like, I hate giving content. I can generate it, I can feed it, but I hate giving it. But yeah, it was a decent round, though. Kind of messy, but it's overall okay. Your speech was fine, so <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Alright, one thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, after Andy goes. Uh, Alright, thank you. Um, So, we were also on opening government. Um... I think we also ran like the very stock case. I think something special that we brought in was like 
ads are just pretty bad to show to people. Like they're oftentimes there's like capitalist incentives to make them make you feel really bad about yourself, make you feel really like um, unsatisfied with your life. And we think, you know, social media is such a huge platform that ads make up such a, uh, and like this platform makes up such a big way in which you interact with ads. And therefore that's independently bad, which I thought was really creative. Um, I think it probably could have worked on closing government, but we were opening government. So we just ran it anyway. There was this, like, I think, I think the op teams kind of really focus on the accessibility argument. And I, I didn't say this in the round, but literally like after my speech, I thought about it. But like, if you look in the status quo, for instance, so something like Discord, right? They're a, they're a subscription-based model, right? So they have like Nitro, for instance. But even then, you there are still free aspects of it. So for instance, you can still like join servers. You can still talk to people and message people. And so that, I think it's a pretty solid way to like bypass a lot of the accessibility claims on opposition. We didn't say that in the round, and I'm really angry. Not angry, but I'm kind of frustrated about it. But I think that's, like, my ideas about the round as a whole. Yeah, Discord is exactly that. Like, the vast majority of the revenue comes from Nitro, exactly, rather than ads, because there are no ads, right? Like, there just aren't ads on, on Discord. Yeah, no, that that's a great example to pull up. Um, the thing I wanted to ask you guys is, uh, this applies, I think only Jess and Julian were on op, but, like, how did, did you guys try to win the accessibility clash? Did it matter in your debate? Or like what happened with that? Because I think I have a good response to it on op, but I like no one else in my round could come up with it. All right, Joseph, you got to say it. We're all stupid. Like it didn't come up in your round or like what? How did Gov not just say accessibility and you guys just lose? Or not lose, Wait, but like... You mean the... Do you mean it the other way around? No, no, I don't. Like, Gov, Gov shows that it's likely to be relatively accessible because of all the incentives they have. Actually, no, they don't uh, They don't just beat OP because of it, but if OP tries to run accessibility and explain why it's not accessible, there's a lot of strong things that Gov can say, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, Tamir was urgent in this round, and he basically said that it's pretty feasible for OP to just fiat Discord Nitro out as just a very, very exclusive example. Um, because there really aren't any other social media platforms like that. Um, what our team actually ran in our round was them talking about Twitter Blue, and it was kind of funny because I don't think any of them actually use Twitter, and thank God they didn't because this case was really easy to respond to. We just said that in the case of Twitter, Twitter gets most of its revenue from ads anyway, and most social media corporations who have a subscription model do the same, right? So yeah. Snapchat, uh, YouTube Premium, um, Twitter Blue, they all get most of their income from ads, right? It's like 90% ad revenue, and maybe the 10% is the royalties program. So I guess if Discord Nitro really is such a niche example, most of the time, the ads still are necessary for this. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the response on on op that you're supposed to give is, so like Gov says, well, it's a social media platform. They need to get it to a lot of people, so it's likely to be relatively cheap. Um, and because so many people want to use it, they can provide it for cheap. And it doesn't cost that much for them to host one more additional member, so they can make it quite cheap and have everyone be able to access it. And like, there's some like pretty good intuition for that as well, right? Just because like each individual person in terms of ads isn't actually worth very much money. It's the fact that there are tons and tons and tons of people that you can sell advertising to, which is what makes it valuable. So, and also just like competition between different services, things like that. I think there's good a lot of easier to come up with reasons on Gov. Um, about why it's likely to be accessible. On op, I think that you can realistically actually run the um, realistically run the kind of Amazon monopoly pricing out uh, and killing competition kind of stuff, right? So like if you are 
a social media company, for example, and you're just like emerging in like 2006, 2007, 2008, right? Um, there are, it is likely to be the case that if most vast majority of people are using the subscription-based service, that one or two or maybe three of the companies are going to be the best, um, and they're just going to have the best features and have the best marketing and the best outreach. And those are the ones that are likely to have the most investment from outside groups, right? So like they're likely to get the most venture capital. They can then use that to snowball their advantage um, and then proliferate to a very large amount of people. After they do that, um, what's likely to happen is they're likely to ha- like run really, really low prices at the start to get everyone onto their platform because that's the that's what is particularly useful about it, right? They want tons of people on their platform at first um, in order to like beat out all the competition because they can afford to operate at a loss. After that initial time period when they've killed out all their competition, they're going to slowly raise prices to the point that they're probably inaccessible. They can probably raise it up to like $20, $25, $30. And that's not a super accessible cost for a lot of people. Um, so if like you shouldn't let government get away with saying that it's going to be like $3, $5, $10, right? It's probably going to be more expensive than that. Also because social media companies, um, there's like a really, really bad sunk cost as well as their ability to both co-opt and also buy other companies. So if someone else um, is like emerging and trying to challenge you, you just buy them and then incorporate them into you or you're co-op their features because it's hard to own that feature. You'll just do it yourself and you'll do it better because you have more of the people. And the last thing is it's really hard to switch to other um, other social media networks because their usefulness comes from having a lot of people on them. So even if I make an app that like is literally 10 times better than Instagram, people are still going to use Instagram because there won't be enough people on it and they'll kill me in other ways by like either reloading their prices, buying me, or incorporating the same improvements. Yeah, um, I think... You know, actually bringing that up reminds me of a response that I think Dennis told me I should have said after the round. I thought this response was really smart. Half of it was the monopolization thing, uh, but then the other half was, uh, I hate when debaters say this, but the fact that there's a first mover advantage, um, <laughs> because this is a retrospective, right? So basically, the first social media corporation to make this really big, it, basically back in the day, presumably that would have been Facebook, um, something like that. If most people get onto that social media platform, there is a sunk cost fallacy in a sense um in that you, if you pay for that subscription service you're probably not going to pay for other subscription services because that's just the biggest one that's where all your friends are that's where like the most popular people are so you're not going to pay for two services uh it, like i guess the intuition pump for this is like for example if you paid a lot of money for like a netflix streaming service and you want to watch all the films on netflix like presumably you're not also going to pay for like hulu and disney plus and hbo and all the rest of them you're just going to pay for the biggest one the one that you think is the best and social media is kind of exclusive to this because there's also things like FOMO, right? If all of your friends are on one platform, there's absolutely no point in you being on another platform. So that means that the biggest one is going to be the biggest monopoly and they can co-opt all the prices. Yeah, exactly. Alrighty, I think we covered this one in pretty good depth. Let's go into number four. This one's a fun one. This house believes that it is a legitimate tactic for activists to launch campaigns of personal attacks or insults at the family members of corrupt politicians. So who thought they ran a good case on this one? Uh, so, like, we were on opening government for this motion, and so, uh, for the first, like, seven minutes of prep, we just didn't have any idea what this motion was actually talking about. Uh, but then after, we decided to just, uh, go with some framing. So the framing was basically, uh, the cases in which this is the most likely to occur are cases in which there is, like, suspicion that the family members are involved but uh there is like just no concrete evidence 
and the reason that this is true is because of social media uh, the activists actually care about their cause and there's probably a competitive marketplace for people buying into the most convincing thing and also this is likely to occur in like the last resort uh yeah and so that framing i think just helped us not take a fourth yeah can i so i just want to add a bit on to this because like Ali and i were in eddie's round but we were on co so basically in this round what all ran was Partially like a principle and consent, though there are some parts that were under underanalyzed and not explained enough. And they also like they basically tried to prove like absolute innocence in the sense that like these family members are probably like almost always innocent. So the way Alina and I decided to approach this on CO was we ran a two-part extension, firstly on basically just filling in the missing analysis for the OO principle and consent. And then we explain like why practically it just won't work because uh, like part in order for Gov to access their impacts and to make it legitimate, they do have to prove why like this will actually work. Um, so I think the problem with this round though, so we ended up taking the third, I think Eddie and Neil took the second and O took the first was because I just don't think like our differentiation was enough because I, I guess we just all got so used to like Max judging us constantly that like, um, Sometimes we just have to spend a bit more time explaining how exactly we're different from OO because I think especially on like principles, it's really easy to give like the baseline of analysis for principle and like even if you don't give the extra analysis, you can basically still get away with like being credited for the claim. So I think like more explicit differentiation would have been good because on closing, we basically spent uh, most of our like time like giving responses to OG instead of like differentiating from OO. Because, like, I'm going to be honest, like, O ran a good case, but uh, OG gave, like, responses to them that I do not think O will properly address, so I thought OG was going to take it over them. I think this is an interesting round, because I do think the call, like, has its own reasoning. Like, I think, like, I could see a call where, like, OG, OO, or CO, like, my team plays first, and I could see, like, the exact opposite. So I think it's just being a bit more explicit on differentiation. I think that's always useful, especially if you think the split between you and your opening might be a bit like too close for coming. Yeah, because I think for that round, I, I like checked back at my flow after round when we were back at the hotel and we definitely had like quite a lot of new content, but I don't think the judge credited it over O because they believe O proved the principle like relatively enough. So like specifically what O said was these family members never consented to being born and being related to this corrupt politician so thus they shouldn't be blamed by by other people and blamed for the for actions that they didn't do but what we said and said was like three things first we said under the principle that like even if like they are benefit benefiting from it and even if they did consent into like a relationship with these people like perhaps they married into their families Sometimes, like, after that, they don't have a choice and they can't do anything about it. So, for instance, if you're under, like, a crop, like, politician, you're in their family, you often can't speak out against them or you can't try to, or you, like, can't leave the family because your own life would be in danger. So, those are instances where we say we weigh self, like, like, we weigh self-interest over anything else because you're more principally proximate to yourself. The second thing we said was, like, some people, like, don't know what's going on. And then the last thing we said was the practical. And in the RFD, I don't think the judge touched on our practical at all, 
even though like there was like a couple mechs in there like three i think that basically like prove why this is not something that's effective that i don't think cg responded to enough okay i think um in our round there were probably really similar cases in terms of what government ran and what opposition ran me and julie were at oo i think with for this round i heard the motion i was really excited because it reminds me of this i think it's 2015 wcc either quarters or semi that i watched a while ago and i remember singapore just had this like absolutely amazing principle on privacy that was like probably one of the best principles i've ever heard in my life and it was about how you should you shouldn't report on the personal lives of politicians so i heard this motion and i was like that's exactly what i'm gonna talk about so on oo we basically said two things first we talked about the principle of privacy and then something about the credibility of democratic movements like the mechanisms and impact are pretty similar to sarah and alina's round but i think this motion was pretty difficult for government to be honest because it's kind of like um, apparently in our round government won on the principle and how like defectors can technically opt out of violation of privacy by just like supporting democratic movements but i think that in a lot of ways it's really hard for government to prove number one why this is even like any like an effective mechanism at getting any sort of social change if you threaten family members as opposed to i don't know just talking about democracy and why it's important but also it's just kind of unclear why this is the only way to do it. So I think that was our main attack to our OG, who are Kevin and Jin, who obviously have a very strong case, backed up by a lot of examples. But I think where we won was by having good analysis on the credibility of democratic movements and how um, there are just like a variety of ways that attacking family members would really gut the movement and take away its ability to advocate. Um, yeah, so I can go next. Um, we were on CO, and I think in this round, like, our OO, even though they took the four, I think they honestly had pretty solid content. Like, they covered all of these stock, like, intuitive arguments, maybe not to the full depth that they could have been, but I wasn't going to risk, like, I don't know, maybe our judge thinking that we were derivative because we had, like, we didn't extend enough or whatever. So I think what we did that... I don't know, took the two, even though it wasn't the first, was that we explained why this meant that the political nature of, of like the state or whatever would turn more into insults and more into like non-political things. And we talked about how like specifically media and sensationalization, why the media was like to pick up on this and like only talk about this was a reason why even if in the, even if in Gov's best case scenario, you got like the leader out of power, for instance, you would still not be able to like pursue better policies to help your group of individuals, for instance. And I think that was something that had like concrete impact. And I think also kind of fought back against the gov or gov principle that I think was like decent in the round. Yeah, I think something that's difficult for gov teams in this round is proving the link as to why like insulting these family members will actually be effective. Because it's, like, in my round, okay, like, no offense to you at all, Eddie and, like, Neil, like, you guys had a good case, 
But I just do think in general, it's hard for Gov to be able to prove that link, especially when there's a lot of responses opt-ins can give. So, I mean, like, this motion wasn't my favorite because it's, I don't want to say it's shallow because it's not really shallow, but it's not as deep as I would have liked. And it is kind of tilted. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Alrighty, yeah. Uh, unless anyone has anything else to add, let's move on to the next motion. So round five, the key, the key break motion. So the motion was, you are an aristocrat with a prestigious lineage, but have fallen on hard times. While you and your family have enough money to survive, you are unable to maintain social obligations or maintain your usual lifestyle. Your siblings will be unable to attend school or have meaningful careers. You are presented with two suitors, an aged widower with a large amount of money who is willing to share it with you, but with whom you are not in love, and a young, dashing suitor whom you have known since you were a child, but comes from a similar financial circumstance. This house would marry the aged widower. Okay, Ali and I need to talk about this motion because it was... <laughs> I, I really like our extension. So mm-hmm. we were CEO... Uh, we basically ran an extension on abuse. So basically, <laughs> why there's probably stop giggling, Alina. That's not appropriate at this moment in time. Uh, basically, it was like explaining why you have a massive imbalance in power. And crucially, like, so basically, our opening did talk about an imbalance in power briefly. But I think the problem was they never really explained why this kind of abuse was likely to happen. It's like, they basically said it could happen, but they never really explained why there'd be incentives to do it. And then, like, Alina and I, like, well, Alina was extension, so she basically just gave more reasons as to why it would probably be the case. Um, She can talk about that a bit later on. And then the second part of our extension was not really part of our extension, but we basically used it a lot in ref, was just explaining why you probably, you might not care that much about your, uh, family in the first place because a large part of the gov case is like you know you will love your family you will do everything for them and I think it's like part of it was like family dynamics are probably different back when this motion took place because like this motion the info side kind of said that your siblings wouldn't be able to get education so you know if like public schools didn't exist then presumably this is quite a long time ago and then basically just explaining how because of like male heirs and like them inheriting almost everything there's bound to be tensions like if you have a brother you might not like him because you're jealous or he might have a sense of superiority and we just ran how like because your relationship with your childhood friend is something you actively chose and decided to stay with it's probably more meaningful for you um so i think that was our two important contributions but yeah alina do you want to add thoughts and like expand on the analysis that you gave yeah sure so i think OO ran like the stock content, which is like, um, you'll be happier with your dashing suitor. You might not live a happy marriage with this like age widow or person. And they gave a one liner, which is that like they might force you to do things you don't like, but that's literally all they gave. So, in extension, the first thing I did was basically frame that this doesn't take place in 2023 just because we don't really use the term aristocrats anymore. And also, like, you're, you're, you're not, you wouldn't have public schools whatsoever, like, you have suitors, like, clearly it takes place in the past so that's the frame we gave which also explained all of our ref towards the other teams and this also helped frame our extension so we basically said that this age widower likely has 
like can force you to do a lot of things. So because you're reliant on them financially, and it's difficult for you to divorce them because in the past, basically that wasn't a thing. It's worse for your prestige and your family reputation. So you can't divorce them after. So they're likely to use this to their own advantage to force you to perform like sexual acts you don't want to do, to force you to listen to certain things in your marriage that you don't want to do. And those are things that end up being very, very bad in terms of your marriage and your happiness. And ultimately, it's just like, and the weighing over the other things are very easy because like we said, we don't know what people want. So some people might like money more. Other people might like uh, might like like love more. But we know that like women in general don't like being abused. And that's clearly like the most like impactful impact for us to prove in this round. And that's how we were able to easily weigh over any other team in the round. Okay, I can go on this one. Um, we had a pretty stacked room, by the way. This was round five. Uh, I think I'll shout out everyone in the room. So, uh, on OG, we had this Gark Marno team, who we ended up hitting three rounds in a row. Yeah, they were very, very solid. Yeah. yeah, very, very good. Um, on opening opposition, uh, it was Jin, and he was Iron Manning OO. He did a <laughs> like, fantastic job Iron Manning, because his partner Kevin was uh, attending an interview for a very prestigious, unnamed US university. Um, so, shout out to Jin, he did great. And of course, our closing off was Neil and Eddie. They also ran a really good case. I think they ended up taking the second. Um, and full transparency, I like completely sold this round. Um, I started my speech with this like Ariana Grande lyric, which I really, really liked, but I screwed it up. It was a lyric from Seven Rings, right? So Ariana goes, whoever said money can't solve your problems must not have had enough money to solve them. They say which one, I say nah, I want all of them. Happiness is the same price as red bottoms. So I started my speech like that. Um, I guess that kind of alludes to what our extension was. We basically said, uh, I guess mainly two things, right? First, Jessica gives this extension about how having um, more autonomy and money as like a woman in that time is like really, really important because you likely live in a time where um, society tokenized you. You likely live in a time where women were just seen as objects of uh, fortune, for example. Um, so it was important to have money to, to be able to fight back against that. Uh, and then the second thing that we said was basically money is kind of a prerequisite to enjoy the rest of the things in life. But we didn't run this in like the generic debater way. We kind of said a couple of things, right? So in to deal with the point of abuse, we said that you're probably not going to be abused for a couple of reasons. The first is that um, you're still like an aristocrat, so you probably still have a decent sized public following, which is to say, if you like shit talk your spouse who abuses you in public, that's probably not going to look good for them. But then the second thing that we said was basically that this person is also divorced, right? Or not sorry, divorced, but they're widowed. So they know what it feels like to lose a loved one. And... If that's the case, then they probably don't want to treat you really badly because they know the pain of what it's like um, to lose someone that you were married to. So on an emotional level, they probably won't abuse you. And then the rest of the constructive content that we gave was as follows. We said that having money is important as a prerequisite to uh, enjoy your romance. So what that meant is that first, you're able to do cute things for each other. Like you can go on dates, you could buy gifts to each other to show your love. Um, and then the second thing that we said was about how financial instability is like really, really bad. Because if you're living in a household that's financially unstable. Well, then you're constantly under stress and anxiety as to whether or not you can make your next bill payment or as to whether or not you can send your kid to daycare. So if you have financial stability, it means that you're actually better able to enjoy this relationship, even if you didn't really like this person to begin with. Because if you had someone that you were like star-crossed lovers with, if you were madly in love, but you had to deal with financial instability every day, you got mad at them every day for a new reason, then that relationship ultimately eroded over time. So that was our case. Yeah, good comparative point out. I feel like Julian is not pointing out why we won the round. Like, he's only pointing out the random pieces of reputation that only came up in his speech. He also said this like weird thing on legacy and how like, I don't know why, but 
apparently this guy really liked the idea that this person had like a like an aristocratic lineage and like wanted to pass it down or something but what i think we actually won the round on is we characterized things about this person and this actor that were crucial to how the judge should determine like which claims matter more because obviously the thing about feminism would would matter a lot to a woman who is put in position of like having to choose between love and money but also we try to characterize that this takes place in like a um, developing country or not necessarily developing country but just a nation where it's just not as socially developed as it would be in the west in the status quo so that changes how you value money and how you value things like stability Okay, um, I can go next. Personally, I thought this was a really good motion, and I thought the speech that I gave was one of the best speeches I gave throughout the tournament. Um, I think we were on CO, and I think the opening teams in our round ran just, you know, the, the very stock analysis. OG says that maybe you lose your family, um, you know, money's good, all, all that good stuff. OO said that, um, you know, love is good, that maybe you, this will, like, make you more happy. So on CEO, we came up, and I think the first thing that we said was that you're going to lose someone important under both sides, be it your family or be it a lover. Um, and we gave some reasons as to maybe why the fact that you choose your lover is a reason why they're more important. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because this is likely to be someone that you deeply care about. So on both sides, it kind of just sucks. So we ran the idea about abuse as well. Um, I think we kind of nuanced it a little bit by saying that presumably you have no like additional value to this widow because presumably they are also an aristocrat or someone of, of worth value the fact that your family got bankrupted means that you know that sort of legacy is no longer valuable to them and therefore they're only going to use you for like maybe you know like your looks or whatever um but i think a really interesting extension that we ran was that in this like economic recession or, or downturn or whatever the fact that it was big enough and powerful enough to bankrupt an aristocratic family with like generational wealth or whatever is an indicator that this is probably pretty serious. It's probably like something that um, really affects a lot of people. And therefore, Ooh. the fact that you have a lot of money means that you're kind of a target for things like violence and things like robberies Wait, and things like that. Damn, that's pretty interesting. Wait, sorry, go on. Yeah, um, and I think that was, I, I don't know how it ended up weighing in the judge's decision between this extension and the other extension about uh, abuse, but I think it was honestly a pretty creative extension that we came up like in the middle of LO um, that I that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, like when you said that at the characterization at first, I was like, oh yeah, this is good for weighing the other way. Like, there's been like a large natural resource collapse or whatever, which is quite bad. Um, which means that you particularly need the money because you're in like an economic downturn where lots of people are starving or something. But the I think that's better analysis or at least more intuitive than the way that um, you ran it. Uh, but the way that you ran it was very interesting as well. All right, I think we're through with discussion about round five. Let's go on to the open rounds now, which you guys all had the luxury of debating all three of them. So for the quarters fin quarterfinals, this house believes that the feminist movement should advocate on the basis of Beauty does not matter, as opposed to all bodies are beautiful. 
unfortunately, after round five that we got an OG, we immediately got this motion again, which was also OG. What do you mean, unfortunately? And, uh, you guys did a really, really good job on OG, and I think OG was a good spot for this motion. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Wait, hold on. What do you mean you got OG? You literally got CG. No, they didn't. Oh, no. We were on OG round five. Not. No, you got CO round five. What? what? Oh, oh, CO round quarters. Oh, no, no. Okay, fuck. My bad. No, I meant like OG, whoa, whoa, whoa. OG for finals. Okay, never mind. Oh, okay, no. you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I, I, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. It's okay. Uh, yeah. No, the problem was, I, I still don't get why tournaments don't just release motions after you're at the room. Like, why do they have to release it? And I spent like five minutes walking there. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, at, like what we ran was just like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, we just ran like a, we ran a very interesting like corporation point about how like there's incentives for, from like the makeup companies to take advantage of women. So when you push for narratives that like, um, like, Hey, like beauty still like matters as a whole, um, there's going to be like different like levels of beauty because it's impossible for you to remove the biological like attraction to, uh, to anybody you were like. Uh, the biological measurement of people which means that some people and big corporations are going to swoop in and basically say like yeah you're beautiful but you can become more beautiful so then they're going to push more uh, for makeup products they're going to take advantage of like women's insecurities and we basically just like said the upswell upswell is going to be extremely toxic while our side of the world is able to focus on other stuff such as like personality and nuances which is like less likely to be objective because you can't just like do top 10 most beautiful women or like top 10 most like personality the greatest personality in like a magazine it's hard for you to like compare women and that's kind of oh, watch mojo video he said top 10 beautiful we did we did run the same case though like that beauty is inherently hierarchical right so you have to rank people and that's bad uh we were also og i was gonna speak but like before arguing yeah oh okay I thought so. I thought Jessica wanted to speak. Okay, so um, we were on closing government for this round, and I was quite happy for it because this was a narrative round, and usually I like being on closing for this round. So um, I don't know what's happening in chat. So what happened for us is like my first thought for this motion is that there's probably going to be some sort of claim on opening half about buy-in, which narrative is more likely for people to accept. So that like also affects like Neil's argument and frame about how corporations will always set like have incentives to push like different beauty standards onto women. So how we utilize that frame was that we say both opening teams concede this in their arguments already. So that means Makeup companies and corporations will always place beauty standards on people in either world. And even if the all bodies are beautiful narratives fully bought into, which we take OO at their very best, new sorts of beauty standards will be created. Things that don't focus specifically on your physical body, but on things like your features, like your nose, like the ski slope nose I keep seeing on TikTok, like certain like traits, like in Asia, like there's like double eyelid standards and stuff like that. So those are things that very like pretty women's like women, like all sorts of women often feel. And like women have insecurities regardless of their body type. So that's why we say our narrative is more inclusive. So that gets more buy-in and also it's more permanent. So even when beauty standards change, we're still able to keep up with that and we don't need to push a new narrative. Yeah, honestly, I'm going to be honest, even though it's like a feminism motion, I actually didn't really like this motion just because like, it's like a narrative motion. I just hate narrative motions. But like I, I'm kind of surprised because the op teams in our room didn't run some of the stock content 
because obviously in this motion there's like a clash on buy-in and there's this op claim that goes like well makeup companies don't support you anymore because they would otherwise like but their literal model is built on like they need some sort of profit for beauty so I was just kind of surprised they didn't run it um but it was okay it was a good round I'm gonna be honest I still heavily dislike narrative motions hate is a very strong word but I will be using hate for narrative motions but yeah, all went well. All teams are good. I don't remember who was in our round, but I'm sure they were good. Okay, so for this round, I was very excited because I love feminism motions and because I know I can outspeak Julian on a feminism motion. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. As long as my speech is better, I feel better about myself. And that's, that's good. Okay, cut, cut that part out. Cut that part out. Okay. Um, no, 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 leave that in. This is literally our partnership structure. Like, she is the most toxic partner. This is, this is unconsensual. Jessica yeah. spoke, so... Yeah. By 0.12 standard deviation, I'm still not over it's it. It's still 0.12 deviation that you didn't have. I think I, I, think I did better than you in this round. I said, I said slay okay. at the end. I literally um, beat her because of that. I'm just going to say that I recorded my own speech, and I listened back to it, and I thought it very good. And then I remembered what Julian said during this round, and I thought, hmm, that's suspicious. Because it was suspicious. I think in our round, like, ran really similar stuff. I'm not going to repeat any of that, but our round was just really suspicious. Like, after this round, I didn't know if we dropped or if we passed because it was just really unclear because the clashes were so unclear. Like, every single op team and every single gov team claimed that they got buy-in, but no one really had any real way to prove why they do get buy-in or why the buy-in's more meaningful or weighted against each other. It was just kind of like people asserting at each other why they get buy-in over and over and no one ever really taking steps to introduce anything that really broke the clash um i think the whip on government we weren't og but the whip on government like the cg whip actually had some kind of good way to weigh buy-in but like at that point it was too late in the debate and i feel like it didn't really have an impact on the round so then i think our round actually ended up being adjudicated on in like a perfect world which would be better just because the buying clash was such a mess yeah the thing about buy-in that i'll comment on is like what do people mean by buy-in is it that they're going to influence how the public is going to treat women or is it that the people who follow the feminist movement are going to believe the narrative both of those are important clashes i think that one is mostly symmetric and I think that the other is mostly symmetric as well, right? So I think that on both sides, you probably get a very large amount of buy-in, even if it's not exactly the same, uh, for people to believe the message that the feminist movement is giving, though I think there is pushback that Gov can give against Op. Um, but but probably also Op against Gov. There's good clash on that. Um, and then secondly, the stuff about external stuff, I just don't think either side has a very good shot of proving why society will change super well. I think there's probably a little bit better material on Op where it's easier to shift uh, your standards of beauty and how you perceive it as a society rather than devaluing it completely because people will still value it. But those things need to be discussed very explicitly in terms of who is buying into what and what and how will they react and why is that a good thing. And also exactly how you're making them buy in. Like all these things are important that are not really ex explained. Um, can I talk about the call as well? Yeah, I'll talk about that as the at the end. I All agree right, uh, with this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Sarah, go. Oh, 
Oh, I was just gonna say I agree with the stuff Joseph said about like who exactly is impacted by the narrative because I think both opening teams in my round were for like very large societal impacts. But I think it's just easier to push about like how this changes the way women view themselves because it's just easier to prove. But like I think what's really important to note is like the buying stuff because like I think this was the problem with the optings in my round because like so they both had like n impacts on buy-in but like neither of them actually explained what they meant by buy-in or why it was important so like by the end of like the round right so for example my whip it was just really easy to discredit like almost all their material by saying like i just still don't know what buy-in means and like why it's important and like i think that if the op teams in my round did a bit more on like impacting and illustrating what buy-in actually is it would have been helpful um, like obviously we also responded to their mechanization but i think that was like a big problem with a lot of the teams in my round yeah all right so i'll talk a bit about my round that i judged then so i judged um eddie and neil on og oh andy right andy go sorry all right all right um so i think so we were on opening op um and i think I think he honestly had a pretty strong case. I remember coming out of prep and like I was telling just like, damn, like like this is pretty strong. Um, but I, we ran two things. So the first thing we ran is that this narrative is just better and it's pretty stock, right? It's just saying that like this will give women more confidence that, you know, for like the woman who was bullied for her appearance, for instance, appearance is something that is very important to her and it's not something that she can just forget and magic doesn't happen anymore so it's not just having a neutral narrative that's saying beauty doesn't matter but it's a positive one that says that you are beautiful that's something that increases narrative more than like, anything else but i think honestly what we really really want on in my opinion at least is just get this idea about buy-in i think um we had a really strong opening government team in our room they were uh jen and kevin and i think what was like they really a really solid poi in in like lo or whatever but we just said like people want to believe this narrative that people that this, this is something that you know people generally just want to feel pretty they want they want to feel beautiful they want to feel attractive and therefore it's really easy to buy into if you think that you know you yourself are pretty we also added in the idea that like um the whole beauty industry thing that would support you more and then finally we said that like this is something that's just biological and it was conceded by the rest of the round but i think we um i, I think we just said you know if it is if it is biological that you care that you know you perceive beauty you also care about beauty and that's something that means that you're always going to have less violent on government but i think just was just a pretty solid case overall yep just to add on to andy um i think that there's two general ways this round could go um the first is how our round went which is just both teams having a, a large time spending a large time just bashing the other side as to why nobody's going to believe and the initial narrative. And then the second is that people concede to a large extent that the narrative is effectful, uh, effective and able to make a large amount of change. Um, in our round, and specifically, uh, again, shout out to Jin, I think he gave a great speech, is that um, the Gov bench mainly gave the claim that if you are told your whole life you are ugly, why are you to believe that you are beautiful suddenly? Um, and the problem with this that me and Andy kind of highlighted is that, well, if you care about what society says so much about you, why would you suddenly believe it doesn't matter? And the way that we end up winning this round is that if it's true that no team can have any amount of viability into the narrative, then assumably in our world, 
uh, I mean, in Gov's world, you would end up pissing a bunch of people who find beauty important. Uh, you you would fracture the feminist movement as a whole, and you would like generally annoy people. And I think that was like a large deadlock breaker for around. Yeah, you just say they're a wash, and this is why you cause active harms. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's pretty clever, especially because you're you're probably pretty. It, it's probably a pretty good strategy to try to convince your judge that there's actually not a big difference, um, assuming attitudes are relatively symmetric. Yeah, okay, so I'll talk briefly about my round. I don't want to go too long on this, because I could talk about this RFD for a very, very long time. But uh, um, it was um, uh, Neil and Eddie on OG, and then Dennis and Andy on OO, and then Fayan and her partner on CG, and then um, Jacqueline and Ethan on CO. So the reason the call ended up being for OG in what I thought was probably the first and then CO probably in the second, um, was for the following reasons. Basically, CG's case doesn't really point out any positive impacts, which is basically just on, like, why you give people the choice to either opt in or not. So if you like makeup, for example, just don't buy into the feminism movement. Um, and if you don't like it, you can buy it in, right? Buy into it. But the issue is, there's not really much of an explanation for why it matters if you buy in or not. Like, what is the benefit of buying in? Uh, what is the benefit of not buying in? Like, just tons of impacts missing, though the idea of the case is interesting. The reason why um, OO placed under the other two teams is because O does the worst job of explaining um, exactly how the feminist... Yeah, exactly how the feminist movement is going to cause change and also what the particularly useful things uh, that people can derive from this narrative is so why exactly will you feel empowered how exactly will this happen um what will be what you what parts of your beauty will you feel empowered in right these are things that if you watched my my quarterfinals that Jacqueline explained very well um that ended up putting them over opening opposition um and the rest of the case wasn't that consequential but that was the the big part um and the reason why OG placed probably I thought over the other two teams is because one I think that OG was pretty clear in explaining and kind of justifying why there's reasonable uh impact um in terms of who this can convince like i fully believe that both sides would probably be able to convince people who are part of the feminist movement and even though this wasn't fully what you guys were going for like you guys were kind of arguing i think at least a little bit that you would change what society does at least it's clear that this stuff that society does is really bad the advertising you do is really bad and beauty is something that women and people don't like to preserve it's something that puts pressure on people that people don't like it is best to opt out of it and not value it as important and the hierarchical stuff um was good enough to outweigh the stuff on how people get buy and fulfillment on op um pretty clearly in my opinion and also i think that there's good grounds putting you guys over co but this wasn't actually discussed on um on the panel it's just kind of my opinion uh, so I hope that makes sense. I can elaborate on this more, but I want to keep it relatively brief so we can get through the other two motions. Um, any final things you want to add? Yeah, I just want to talk about one last thing. So after the round, I went to talk to one of my old Linky judges, and he kind of gave me like two extra pieces of things I could have done in the round. The first one was that like it it wasn't that like uh, women are judged by other things like their personality and and uh, and like their intelligence in workplaces, but rather that they're judged by beauty, which shouldn't be like a metric. That's uh, used to value them. And the second thing was that, like, uh, like yes, there's Western, like, narratives on beauty, but when, like, you're a minority, you're a Muslim minority immigrating to a new country like the U.S., and you have to wear your hijab, which means that you probably value, like, modesty 
or, or things like that over beauty, the narratives of like everyone is beautiful versus like beauty doesn't matter still has a significant difference for these minorities. Wait, do you know why? I'm not too clear on that, but it's just that like if you wear a hijab or like your religion, your religion and culture doesn't necessarily value beauty, but then like you push for the narrative that like like beauty is still important. I think that still like doesn't remove beauty within like the work within workplaces, which it shouldn't be a metric to to be measured. Hmm. I don't know if it's specifically still important in workplaces or why it's significant in workplaces without proving it, but I think there's a line you could go down that too. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's go on to the um kind of doomed round, which is the semifinals. Semis was the following: a structured settlement is a legal settlement settlement in which instead of paying out a lump sum of money given out all at once to victims as damages, the money is paid out in regular amounts over the course of many years. Some companies offer buyouts of structured settlements in which a third party will pay you less than the value of your settlement in exchange for them being paid the structured settlement over its course. E.g., you have a structural settlement which pays out $10,000 a year for 40 years with a total value of $400,000. A company offers to buy out that settlement for $300,000 all at once, where the company will be paid the full amount over the course of 40 years. This house would ban buyouts of structural settlements. Jess seems very, very eager to go. You can yes, go I'm ready to talk about this one. Okay, so I really like motions that have like random financial things, just because I like talking about banks. So I was excited to do this motion. And Sarah and she was oh, the only one excited to do this motion. Were OO. Shut up, Julian. Anyway, they were OO. They ran a really good case. I think it was something about um, individual people knowing what's best for themselves and then also a second argument on deserving a choice. But then where we on CO kind of filled in their holes is we ran an extension on the counterfactual of where you would get money if you didn't get it from this buyout. So we kind of framed it as like, People need money for various reasons, whether that's because they have an emergency in their life, which I think OO already proved very effectively. But on CO, we just said people just need money eventually at some point in their lives. So when they get that money, they can either get it from buying out whatever policy they have, or they can just get a loan or take out a predatory loan in the case in which they desperately need money for something. And then where we went from there is we first proved why predatory loans are bad, obviously, because predatory loans usually prey on specific people with vulnerable character traits, or they just have conditions that generally you don't want to have to take on, like high interest rates or like really high down payments or like just certain terms that are bad for people. But then um, for people who just generally need money for something, like if they just wanted to buy a house and they needed a down payment, or if they just need money to start a business or something like that, where they're not in desperate need of it, but it's just an everyday need for money, you still would take out some kind of bank loan. And those are worse because of inflation. So like you would just get more money in the status quo if you had to, you were able to buy out whatever policy you had with this company from the settlement and then use that money directly to start your company. And you wouldn't have to worry about that whole thing. That's like time value money, but also because interest rates just are variable and that's kind of harmful for people who don't know if they can pay off interest in the future yeah 
honestly, this notion was like, I don't know, it was interesting because the, as you already know, like the info side was super, super long. So in prep, Aline and I probably spent like a good five minutes just like rereading the info slide to make sure we got it correct. And obviously, like you already know what our case is. So that's what we came up with. And like our case wasn't really developed because we spent like a significant majority of prep making sure we had the right interpretation of the motion. And then what happened this round was like our OG like misinterpreted the motion. So at first we were like panicking because it was like, no, no, because we were so confused. We were like, did we misread the motion? So Alina didn't really end up adding a lot of extra analysis and like CO rightfully filled in like the gap in the comparative. But like by Alina's speech, like I literally like did not flow like Kevin or Alina's speech at all because I was just like furiously rereading the info slide. And then we were right, of course. Like, why should I doubt it myself? Alina and I are always correct. I'm kidding, but not really. Um, so yeah, basically we had to clarify that. Like, I think that's what made the round, like, so confusing because we had, like, a literal panic attack. It was all good after. And one thing, like, okay, to be fair, though, like, God for this motion is a lot harder because, like, it's, the opposite is a lot more intuitive. But for the case we ran, which is on toys and, like, needing loans or whatever, I think, like, there is a gov response to it. I think gov response is, like, you basically just mitigate it by saying, like, worst-case scenarios, like, medical emergencies are probably quite small anyways. And it's, like, if you needed a loan that desperately, you would probably be able to get it on either side of the house, even if you had, like, bad credit or something. Because even in Gov's world, you basically have, like, a very stable stream of income from your settlement, meaning banks and, like, uh, like lending institutions would probably still want to give you loans. So I think that's, like, a piece of mitigation Gov can give. They didn't give it, but, like, I was just thinking retroactively on the round. But, yeah, um, the info slide was, like, really long, though, so jump scared. But it was yeah. Long. So, like, that round was, like, I didn't like that round that much. Mainly because I remember improv, I barely got any time to write anything down because most of the time it's just, like, me and Sarah figuring out the info slide. And I remember, like, both of us had our, like, previous idea of what the motion is about and then we talked and then it seemed that we have different ones and then we had to discuss it and figure out which one was right and then in round pm started speaking and i was like getting ready to write my case except they gave a different like motion on like economics and they talked about macroeconomics as a whole and because i'm not the best economics like i didn't know whether i was wrong or they were wrong and i didn't know any ref to their case because I did not think that's what the round was about. So I, I just reread the info side like three more times, which like took up four minutes. And then my last one minute was just like writing on my paper how the motion isn't about this and like writing the frame for what this round is actually about. So my actual case, I, like I had a case, but it wasn't like the best I could have given. And I'm guessing like, and that also explains why I didn't explain the comparative, which would fall under the counterfactual things that Jessica and Julian talked about, which is the black market. And obviously, like, I wouldn't go into depth that much, but, like, the fact that, like, we didn't mention it at all just shows that we barely had any time to prep, and it was really sad for us. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how the macroeconomic aspect plays into this. I don't think yeah. it does. Yeah, they just, like, read the motion wrong, because they thought it was, like, companies that, like, lended from, like, third-party institutions and that's how they thought like it worked but it wasn't that wasn't how it worked it was all good though like i the round was like horrible but like we got compliments after the round and i thrive off of compliments <laughs> i love validation for when i'm right and i hate criticism for when i'm wrong so. 
Yeah. Wait, who was the OG? Can I ask? It was, uh, it was it Kevin was... and Stephanie. Oh. I think Stephanie actually had a good defense of the case, considering I think she tried to switch the case away from companies and bailing out other, companies with buyouts from other companies, but she it was did. just kind of like too it's, late in it's the just bad. Yeah, no. Yeah. It was a good no, defense it was just, for a bad case. It was really hard. It's really hard to pivot the case if you just spend the majority of your constructive, like, focusing on, like, one argument that, like, interpreted the motion wrong. Because Jessica, not Jessica, <laughs> why do you exist as the same person in mind? I'm kidding. But, like, Stephanie did a good job. Maybe it's because you're both in ETS. But I say thank you both in ETS. But, yeah, um, she did a good job. It was just, like, difficult because, yeah. Because I get it. Because OG on, like, that kind of motion is, like, really difficult. Yeah, Kevin came up to me after the round. He was like, God damn it, dude, I misread the motion. But they did ran, they did run a very... They, they ran a solid case, but just wasn't as applicable, right? So they talked about how it would be predatory for companies, how, you know, it's not just because you're not getting all the money that you paid back. Um, no, me and Jason aren't the same person. Stephanie and Jessica are also quite different people. But, you know... You guys exist. After, like after, after our OO team inevitably gets glasses in the future, we might be able to tell each other apart. Um, okay, I can kind of comment on the room that I was in. So I was on CO and I had Eddie and Neil on OO. Um, and I think they ran like the intuitive case very well, which is just that this increases choice for people. And also they, they talk about the black market also. So I think the angle that we went from extension into was just saying that, well, all of the other analysis in the round depends on you already having the, um, the settlement. So the settlement's already done. So we focus more prior than that. So we, we said like in the negotiations for the settlement, in the actual court, in the like, you know, out of court negotiations, whatever, from the settlement that you were able to get more money for victims in those aspects. And I think the mechanism that we use, it was a little dizzy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be real. I think a lot of people didn't really like get it, but I think the judges eventually did. Um, basically what it was was just that, well, there are certain companies who do not want to spend a lot of money right now, either because it like screws up their budgeting or they don't have the like, you know, capital to give like hundreds of thousand right now. But there are other companies who maybe want to like give or want, want to like use that as more of an investment. And therefore it's more like economically like efficient if you have certain companies that are, um, that are, taking a risk and certain companies companies that are diverting a risk and therefore you're like the company that's giving these structured settlement is more likely to give more money in the settlement which is like a benefit for the victims who are the most vulnerable wait how did you justify that it was certain companies so the, the company that was providing the settlement um was the company who did not want to like spend a lot of money right now the company that is buying out the settlement is likely a company that wants to like buy the settlement for the investment. So they're like different incentives, but if you can like kind of swap the obligations of the companies, it's like more efficient and therefore you can, you're, you're more willing, I guess, to give out more money. Uh, I think the premise for that might be flawed, but that sounds interesting. The reason why I say the premise might be flawed is the money that they have to give out is determined by the courts or like in a direct settlement. Uh, oh, sorry. If it's a settlement, um, 
then it will be yeah it's like two sides deciding on it but like just because they have the capability to give more doesn't necessarily mean that there are going to give more if there's no other pressures to make them do it um i don't know it seems interesting and when i say it uh when it's not the course deciding it it makes a bit more sense but uh joseph do you have a better reasoning than trust me bro Uh, okay, I, I think I'll give our, the intended reason. Um, so the idea out of government is that, well, you're, you need, you're in dire circumstances and you need a large amount of money. So assumably in Gov's world, you're still likely going to take uh, a lump sum settlement instead of a structured settlement, which is to suggest that you're still going to be laid barren to all of the course of metrics of like having a lot of money. Uh, but then what this actually means in our world is that Individuals can use the leverage of uh, structured settlements to get a higher buyout in order to get more money in the first place. So the idea, and this is just a basic thought experiment of like net present value. If a company has a thousand dollars right now and has the ability to develop a product to make more profit in the future, then assumably that a thousand dollars right now is more valuable to that company. And therefore, in the future, they're more likely to hand out more money if they think that they can make a larger investment to get that money. Um, and that ultimately means if this structural settlement is larger in the future and you sell it as a buyout to other people, then you can assumably get a larger like amount of money and you free up all of opposition's claims about uh, freedom of money and like etc. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes more sense. Um, that's logically, that's internally logically consistent. The premise seems reasonable. Um, I will say that I think I heard that and I'm like, there's also probably a flaw with that uh, in that I don't know if you can force them or if those one-time payouts are actually frequent options because presumably why it's a structure settlement is a lot of the time, these are like class action lawsuits where they need to pay out a lot of people or that this is just a lawsuit and they uh, it's a lot of money and that often you, you can't expect businesses to always have this money in a lump sum, right? So that's not always an option that's present, presented. And if that's not presented, then, well, they can't provide it. So I'm not sure. Um, I, presumably, it works differently in different legal systems. But in, in terms of the internal logic of the argument, that, that seems pretty good to me. Wait, I have a fun side tangent. It's not too relevant for this specific motion, but you can either just edit this out completely or add it later. But basically, it was either before or after finals. There's this <laughs> photo of like Julian, Jessica, and like everyone else sitting in like the front row of the GA. I assume it's after finals. And like I know this because I saw Julian posted on his story but it's really funny because if you zoom up in like the tiny back corner you can see Alina and I just like sleeping heavily in the back but like everyone else has so much energy and they're all like so alive and like just there in the front and we're just like actually sleeping it's so funny I'll keep I it on the it. show notes is this the one with me standing up with a clipboard or is this a different photo it's, it's the yeah one. it's oh. that one it's that one yeah I'll keep I really the like show the photo notes. podcast thumbnail that's not a bad idea oh my god it's fire wait i can't even see i just see coats what do you mean i don't see them sleeping i see dennis playing clash royale 
Oh, they are knocked out. Oh, they're so knocked out. Oh my god. This is after this is after grand finals. Yeah, yeah they're it's back left. Finals. Yeah, they're back left, knocked out in the fifth row. It's Honestly, so I would be too. That round took everything out of me. Oh my god. They're like oh, common to go to sleep. Them. Yeah, that's you playing Click Clash Royale, probably. No. Yeah. Alright, I'm keeping this photo. This is great. Alright, back to okay, the... Sarah was big brain for that. Sarah was big brain, because that's actually the perfect transition to talking about the Grand Finals motion. Yes, we can go into the Grand... Wait, wait, we didn't talk about what the good gov case is. All of you there is no good gov case. I there literally is a no... No, no, no. There literally, is. both op rounds... No, both op teams... Uh, both both rooms had an op Yeah, team, yeah. So really yeah I know, but that... I think there is... There still can be a good gov case, and none of them gave it. Gave it. Okay, JSF. Talk like, about the gov case. Wait, did you see any good gov cases? You were like, they're all bad. Uh, I think the ones that... Well, our CG ran this really, really strange principle of retribution, uh, which I think was quite easy to flip. But you can probably come with a much better guff case than that. Okay, yeah. Did anyone run that like third-party corporations make like incredulous money off of this? Right, like this is like you're getting like a thirty-three percent return on your investment. Right, like this is a big W in terms of how much money you're making. So if that's the case. It's likely to be the case that companies are offer uh, that that companies are going to, uh, like both like they're gonna pressure people into wanting to purchase their bios, right? They're gonna like, uh, go to them, convince them why they should. They're, they probably have some internal reasons for why they want to do it, right? Like in the same way that like, like loan sharks try to get you with their predatory loan. They the issue with that is that they're charging you a ton of money for the loan, right? And I'm not sure how this is reasonably different because there's, they're charging you a lot for their service like you're basically purchasing money um, with the promise of giving them back like it's almost exactly the same as a predatory loan right and these people often have to go on disability because of their injuries they often have to do a lot of other stuff uh, they often have a lot of bills to pay medical bills and like that those have reasonable financing right that isn't super super predatory which means that you probably can pay them over time because otherwise like, look, you couldn't, you wouldn't be able, like, people wouldn't be able to pay them if there weren't financing options. They're not super predatory because there's regulations around them. It's probably really bad. And you, you need all of the money that you can get in order to, like, live out your life as best you can. Like, $100,000 makes a big difference. It's probably, like, like three to eight years of living expenses, depending on how heavily you're living. And having that be taken away from you and have no other way to fend for yourself is really really bad i'm pretty sure right so that's what i would try to go for um and like you can get like like if you don't have that money this is like and the thing is th this is like also something that you can like tie into the specific amount of money as well right because in the settlements they're often trying to structure it such that you will be okay with that amount of money given the damage that you can incur this will pay for that damage right so if you have like 25 years left in your career you will need this amount of money that you otherwise would have earned in your career to be able to survive but if you give that up early because you are one day tempted or persuaded or convinced to like take out the structured settlement you're going to have eight or nine years where you're just not going to be able to um use uh use money that you otherwise would have had and were specifically tailored to need right and i think that's really really bad in a lot of cases i think you can argue that like there's a huge incentive for corporations to do specific things to target people. Um, and there's probably, uh, actually, I was going to say there's like maybe a chance of collusion here, but th that's probably difficult to prove. But that's what I would try to go for on Gov. 
I think that it there there are definitely other things that you can say about that like black market stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I think that trying to explain why it doesn't happen most of the time is probably good. Like I don't buy that the black market replaces most uh, or like some or like yeah most or even a large minority of the cases, right? Because a company buying it out seems really legit, and you're probably willing to do it. But like me, if like a like I don't know, like a drug cartel or whatever comes up to me and tries to do the structure settlement, I'll be like, "This is exploitative. I'm not gonna do it." So that kind of legitimacy probably can defend some of the critiques from up. But that's what I would try to run. Do people try to run that or like or what? In your rounds, I think the OG, which is Ethan and Jackie, in our round, like. I'm pretty sure that's what they ran, but I think, like, we just said, like, if they are choosing to take this buyout, no matter how predatory it is, presumably that would be in their best interest, and it would be better to give them that option in the first place. Yeah, no, that's fair. That You have to specifically defend against that, and that's not an easy thing to show. You, you definitely have to defend against that, otherwise you're just going to lose, right? And I think that you can explain it by, like, saying that, like, People don't always make things that are in their best interest, not due to a lack of like being stupid, but just due to a lack of education, right? So people often think that purchasing a car will be a good thing for them, especially if they're relatively poor, because if they lose their house, they'll at least have somewhere to stay. But they they realize in the long term, there are tons of recurring costs. There's maintenance fees. There's paying for gas that ultimately makes it makes them worse off because they have this active sink pulling on their income in the same way that um, they like people probably don't evaluate long-term stuff super well i um, mean they don't have people that like finance people advising them so they're not evaluating not having money in nine or ten years compared to like a minor problem that they would probably have other ways to be able to circumvent on gov especially when the company that's offering this to you has a specific interest of convincing you that your problems are particularly bad and important right now and your problems in the future are particularly unimportant for them to be able to make like a like a like a hundred thousand dollar profit on your specific settlement is how I think you can try to defend it. If you think that's good, uh, run it again. If, if not, then I guess you can just try to lose again on Gov. I don't know. I think that's that's a decent case though. Probably still a little bit weaker than Opstrong's case, but I think it's probably a better version of what can come out on Gov. Because I got a lot of questions about what a good Gov case. People watch it and it's like, yeah, Gov is not winning on this one. All right, anyone have I any final thoughts? Final thoughts, actually, on yeah. that motion. I think there is a case you can make about talking about why people get given structured settlements as opposed to having, like, real ones. No, not real ones, but lump sum ones. Yes. Because it generally tends to be that if the person receiving the settlement has a history of, like, being very irresponsible financially or if they have, like history of just not being good at managing their own money and they don't it doesn't seem like they're gonna be able to manage it then structural settlements can be given so that they actually get access to all of the money and they don't just like get it and like gamble it away or put it in like a stock that goes to zero or something so if you take that kind of st stance then presumably it does make sense why buyouts just kind of ruin the point of them which is to have people receive money over time so they can't abuse the money and misspend it yeah, I'm uh, like doing a quick Google search. I think that's a very valid case as well, and I think that oftentimes this is, this is the reason why this happens. Uh, my initial intuition was incorrect, which is that companies or whoever 
uh, don't always get or can't always be expected to have the lump sum. That can be true as well, but oftentimes the court can order it in order to um, provide long-term financial security to the injured party, right, is why they exist in the first place. Um, and oftentimes they're also agree they're voluntary and agreed upon between the defendant and the injured party is what I'm reading up on. I have no idea how that ties in the case, but I think that there is there's a value in saying why the long-term financial security should always be valued um, over giving people a choice to annul that and, and not have long-term financial security. Because, like, you, you can't mess it up. If you're getting, like, $2,000 a month, you will always have $2,000 a month, and there is no way you're going to end up in, like, severe financial hardship because you can sell the stuff, purchase a home, things like that. Whereas if you have all the money at the start, you can get yourself into places where you have significant um, significant re recurring costs, where you can get yourself into debt, where you can get where you can like gamble a lot of it away, right? These are things that can happen and doesn't guarantee that you have long-term well-being, whereas having the structure settlement does it in a much better way. I think that's what the CAs probably intended you to say, um, and I think that is a decent case as well. Just making sure you frame it super well is what you need need to do in order to be effective. But yeah, that, that's a good case. Right, I see like 10 people typing in chat, but no one's saying anything. So let's go on to the last motion. So, info slide. In Homer's Iliad, Achilles must decide whether to fight in the Trojan War or not, promising certain physical death but a glorious legacy, or return to his home to live a long and happy life with his loved ones but die in obscurity. So since everyone is here, OG, do you want to tell us about your case first? Uh, yeah, so on OG, like, well, what we ran was basically, uh, you're going to be told that this is a very important thing, like, uh, because the government has incentives to make soldiers want to sacrifice their lives, so they will push religion onto you, and you're going to have, like, role models that tell you to sacrifice your life, and that was our main argument. And we also had a second one, which is basically this helps your family because you get famous and they get more opportunities and stuff. And I'll expand a little bit on um, a little bit on the stuff from Eddie. So we actually went in this motion, uh, not knowing anything about the info slide on like our uh, our backup. The Iliad. Right? About the... Huh? You didn't know anything about the Iliad, I assume. No, 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 no. I knew that like um, Achilles was this soldier. In like Greek or Roman, and then like he was pretty good, and then and then he got arrogant and he died. Like that's all I that's all I know. <laughs> so so I didn't know like I didn't read all the fan fictions that CG did. So we just try to like think of what he's likely to value back in his days and the reason that he chose what he chose. So we kind of just put like legacy as a very important point because we can't just like evaluate like what he, like we can't just evaluate his decisions based on our own moral arguments, but rather we have to like evaluated based on how he was raised so like eddie said he was raised as a soldier he was told he was trained to die and his like wife and his like children probably knew that he was going to die and he probably like signed into it um and then like even when he dies his parents is still able to like i don't know like gain respect and gain placement within his family um and there's also like the religion points as well The religion point as in the afterlife stuff about how you'll be conscious. Yeah. Yeah, the religion point as in like 
if you fight well, you go to like heaven. But if you don't fight well and you like let all your comrades die, then you're gonna like forever not go to heaven. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, I can comment on this. Um, I think we ran just like honestly a pretty stock case on OO. We just talked about why family is important, why you're likely to lose your family, or not lose, like, sorry, I'm thinking around five, but like why you're likely to not have a good relationship with your family, why that was the most important. We talked about like biological incentives and why this was the most fundamental value to you, no matter who you are. We also explained like this, this niche little thing about how um, the war was like to target your family because that's like your most vulnerable point. Um, if you're like immortal as like, I don't know, the, the legends say. Um, the final thing we ran was that just like war was pretty atrocious, that you, you see a lot of bad things. I think this likely didn't have a lot of impact on the call as a whole because like presumably the impact is limited to like your final days. But I know like Joseph, like the um, Joseph Wu, like the host Joseph, gave like really good reputation to OG after the round, which I'm really frustrated that we didn't get to include in our case, but... I, I thought it was a decent case, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, just to add on a bit more to that, uh, just to preface, me and Andy were running on, like, zero spec knowledge. Like, the only thing I remember about Achilles is that he's just immortal and, like, really strong. And then when Julian came up here, I was like, oh, right, this is a clown that got shot in the foot. And, like, assumably, if we had this knowledge, we would have been a, mo a lot more prepared for, like, the tirade of OG's responses in terms of legacy uh, and, and whatnot. But I think we, like, did fairly well. I, I low-key screwed us over by giving us giving, giving you that POI, because I thought everyone knew what that was. But then I gave the POI, and then Neil was like, dude, what are you talking about? And then I was like, god damn it, we gave them the sauce. And then Andy ended up expanding on it a bit. Okay. Um, I guess Sarah and I will talk about CG. So, um, I read the motion, and then for like the first five minutes, Sarah and I thought this was the junior finals motion. What? Because we, we were brain dead, and we didn't, like, we didn't know that it ended. Like, we knew, but we didn't, because we just woke up from our sleep. So we sat there for five minutes, and then we are like, oh, this is our motion. <laughs> so we went to prep, and then, like, during our prep, we were, like, we were looking at the motion, and then Sarah was like, wait, this is so good for our side. And then we just suddenly started talking about Greek mythology. And then we both realized that we, like, knew a lot about this. Because, like, it's, like, Hades, Persephone, the fanfics. And, like, I read some of those. But, like, I read, like, other sorts of fanfics. Like, I read, like, about Achilles fanfics. About, like, with his lovers and stuff. So we read, like, different sorts of fanfics. <laughs> so we just, like, have a lot of, like, Hades and Persephone. Like, um, the gods and goddesses. Yeah. So, um, like... We went into the round with like a lot of extensions. So what happened with OG is like OG did like really well in this round because they just talked about like the stock content, which is like about legacy and why that's good and stuff. But the issue is that like they mischaracterized who this person was, so I ended up having to knife them when I give my speech. But it's okay because like most BP circuits allow that right now. So yeah. Yeah, so our extension, like, ended up being okay, because, like, I just ran, like, new content about, like, how he he specifically was socialized into it, but I think the framing for our extension could have been better, but I only thought about that framing, like, two days after the tournament, because I kept thinking about... Because <laughs> I kept thinking about how I could have framed this argument better, and then what I came to was the conclusion, which is, like, our argument was about why he was socialized in his environment, right? So, 
OG. Yeah, but like I think the issue with OG is like they say he chose to be a soldier, which is like one in crap. But like after ignoring that, like OO points out that like you can be like there are other jobs presumably in that environment. You can be, like, be a blacksmith, you can be a cook, you can be a baker, right? So OG just says as a broad overview that this environment makes you socialize to enjoying violence and wanting a legacy but they never explained why you specifically were socialized into this mindset when there were a lot of other professions in this world that didn't involve around fighting and basically involve around being a soldier for instance like there were still blacksmiths and there were still like other people who played like music and stuff so those are jobs that also existed in this world so i guess he never explained why this person was particularly socialized in this way and i guess like that's how i, sh I should have framed the extension by saying like this is why Achilles in particular was socialized in this particular mindset and that's why it's able to prove the premise for OG. I should have said that. I'm like actually so sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to add a bit onto it. So basically it's like, yeah, a lot of our mechanisms were like similar to OG in the sense that we had the same ending point, but the actual mech was like slightly different. So I agree. I think if we like framed our extension better, it would have been good. Like this is one of those rounds. It's like if we were OG, it would have been like really nice. So, okay. So that's just the, that's just like the way the world works, I guess. But also it's really funny because like side story context for this, basically um, apparently like at the beginning in Delib, like all the judges that we want for this one judge, like yeah, he like rolled the call, which is valid because like obviously like I see the reason for the OG win, and it, it's it's just really funny, like sad, but that's how deliberations work, how life works. But it was funny, yeah. I really like the motion though because I, I thought this was really nice. It would have been like it's so much better than having like some random IR motion for finals. So this was really really fun. And yeah, I think like we should have just framed our extension better. Like the judges are like the entire deliberation was between you and OG. And I was like, yeah, valid. I, I saw that coming. Okay, all good though. Okay, but to be fair, I like the motion and I was trying to think what op would run and like there's content, but like a lot of the op teams didn't know the story, right? So it's like really hard to access it. Like Sarah and I fully expected Patroclus to come up, but like he didn't. So we're like, oh, that's pretty good for us. Ooh. Okay, in, in defense of the two opposition teams, we actually go outside, and I don't know who that is. So, you know what? Maybe we didn't deserve to win after all. But, yeah. Uh, Jessica, you want to talk about our extension? Because I didn't really understand it. I'm going to be real. Okay, so me and Julian had different round visions, but that's okay, because that happens sometimes. Um, for me, I kind of means all the time. What? I don't know. We, we rarely have similar round vision. Wait, go on, go on. Okay. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> um, my round vision was that this debate was kind of about, like, not Achilles, rather, but what you should do, what you should choose in life. So if you should choose a glorious legacy or if you should choose to live a modest, anonymous life. And that's the way I read the motion. So what I chose to run on MO was something about how um, Achilles wanted, would, like, he wouldn't care the most about like selfish interests and instead he would care the most about contributing to society seeing as he was a demigod and he was somebody who has received a lot from society. I talked about the social contract which is apparently very controversial but essentially something about how 
um, like Achilles derives a lot from society, like whether that's sacrifices that give him his power, whether that's like killing other Spartan warriors so that he can rise to the top and become the most powerful one. Seeing as he's inflicted some harm on society to get to where he is, he probably should contribute something to the world. And we just, I tried to frame why it'd be a better way for him to contribute to society if he just stayed alive and like trained other warriors or just helped farm or used his like superhuman abilities to carry really heavy things. So in that way, he'd be contributing more to the world and trying to create more of an impact, which is like principally justified. Julian, what was your round version? Okay, so I <laughs> kind of sold this round and just made jokes, but I think I did three themes. Uh, the first was about his incentives, where I kind of talked about the same thing that Jessica did, how you all made this round on purpose, and how basically him causing benefits to more people was good. I didn't really believe in this theme, because if the CG spec dump was true, that he had to fulfill the prophecy, and if he fulfilled the prophecy, then the war ended, and then they won, and then thousands of people wouldn't die then, I don't know, that would be a bit strange. Uh, the second thing was about legacy, right? So basically, the unique content that we kind of ran about legacy, which isn't too impactful, but I thought was kind of funny, was about the fact that Achilles' legacy actually wasn't that great. Like, now if we think about the word Achilles' heel, it's used to refer to, like, a fatal flaw in a system that goes unnoticed, because Achilles was dipped into the fountain of immortality, I think, by his mother, and she held him by the heel, which is where the name comes from. And in this battle, in the Trojan War, uh, he got shot in the heel. So basically, the illustration that we used was this guy thinks he's a demigod. He beats everyone in the battles because he's immortal. Um, but at the end, he gets shot in the heel uh, because he made a foolish mistake. And now he's like bleeding out on the ground, on the battleground, um, you know, like, like, like beating himself up over, over why he did something that stupid. And that ends up becoming his legacy. His legacy ends up becoming that of someone who was super pretentious and, and a jerk, uh, and for example, didn't see his own weakness. And that's why the content of legacy uh, shouldn't stand. Andy says, uh, Wait, why didn't it kill Hold up, hold up, hold up. I have to ask you, did you have an internal reason because you didn't say it? How Wait, what do you mean internally? Like, like in your head, how Achilles would know that before the Trojan War? He didn't, but I guess it's retrospective, isn't it? No, it's a this well, house wood motion. Yeah, this is no, why like, you know, this house prefers. No, no, this house asks. Yeah, as oh, Achilles shit. prefers. Brilliant. You know this what? is why I was so sad you didn't take my PY. Because my PY was literally like, exactly all that. of your ref is like valid and great, but like, he doesn't know this shit when he's like making the decision. Because this you is know, like, it's a time when he's making the decision. You make a decision. good point. You do make a good point. That's why I just made jokes for my speech. But <laughs> um, that, that is correct. Uh, ignore everything that I said. And the last thing that we tried to do is just fill in some fake holes that our opening had. We basically said, we give a bunch of illustrations about how, like, you know, Seeing your kids grow up is important and really illustrative debate or stuff like that. But yeah, I think both um, government teams were like super strong in this round. There was a bunch of ref that Joseph told us after the fact that I thought was pretty strong. Um, what Joseph basically told us was that like, since you're, you're already like basically a war hero, you fought like thousands of battles, you've saved a lot of lives, so you already have fulfillment and you already have respect. So we're able to wash out a lot of the gov content there. But then the second thing to say is that most of the girlfriend in this round is basically like, oh, if you drop out of this critical war, I'm sorry, Joseph, man, I, you're going to say it anyway. If you drop out of this critical battle, you're going to be seen as a coward. Whereas what Joseph told me was basically the government and the public already sees you as like a hero, right? If you, for example, if you think of like a sport athlete that retires early, they don't get clowned for like being uh, selfish or they don't get clowned for being uh, a coward, for instance. More likely, they're going, you know, more likely the public is going to like 
appreciate them for the good things that they've done and how legendary they were uh, when, when they were active. So basically, that was the content that Joseph told me to say after the fact, and we probably would have been very strong, but we unfortunately did not think of. Yeah. I don't know, Jessica, why you're mad at me for stealing your content. You literally speak first. Like, I'm saying the stuff that you forget to say. Yeah, and then afterwards, you also, on that on that line of reasoning, should show the comparative of like, look, you're not just going to do things that aren't super meaningful. You can still fulfill the things that you believe and are socially conditioned to believe are valuable, like military and stuff like that. Because it says you like die in obscurity, but I think you you don't have to believe that you're out in some mountain somewhere living with your family the rest of your life. You can still be in society. You just won't be famous or known. You won't have a very good legacy, but that doesn't matter because you'll still do things that are important. And the specific things are probably trained military generals on like war strategy. You would probably be told things that are happening and you would be guiding things in the background. Or you would be someone, or probably both, you'd be someone who also trains soldiers. You're super competent. You know how to become a better soldier. You've seen thousands and thousands of battles, so you know what people's patterns are in terms of fighting are and how to better equip your soldiers things like that so you'll probably be a very strong and important military advisor which means that you're still going to do things like advise the military you're still going to make your country safer in ways that are probably equally if not more useful for you to do compared to if you just go into the battle um and uh fight for fight there directly uh yeah but like doesn't the motion imply in the info slide that you're going to die in obscurity Sure, you'll die in obscurity. No one will know you. You won't be celebrated, but you still get to do things that you find first personally fulfilling to aid the military. Oh yeah, okay, that's yeah. Like no one will know you, but the argument isn't that you'll be known; it's that you'll be able to do things that you think are are good. Yeah. And um, yeah. So like, I I also think that yeah, what you're saying is like fair. So I don't think you can claim that you'll be remembered as a hero if you don't go into the war. But you can also you you also don't you can also you can push back on the fact that you'll be seen as a coward, right? Like you won't be a coward. Like you'll be you'll be chilling at the time, and then people will eventually forget about you because it will be like forty, fifty years later. But uh, after that, it would be fine. Which is what I think the case is, and I think there's also one more thing you can say about like fulfillment and glory like is this really going to be fulfilling is glory really going to be fulfilling are you going to get any more fulfillment out of going to this last battle in the trojan war after you've done a whole career of it right like it's really unclear why this battle or continuing it will make you any more fulfilled if you aren't already fulfilled in your military career as it is so it's unlikely to be particularly fulfilling um and you're likely to and in the case where it is fulfilling you're likely to already be fulfilled and see what you've done as like a valuable contribution to the military given how you've been socialized Oh, and then pretty crazy. I wish I thought of that in the round. Yeah, there's like one more thing I would say. Um, oh my. And then, uh, oh, should I just close it off then? Wait, wait, I was, I'm, wait, wait, hold up. Sarah, Alina, stay for like one minute. The last thing I'll say, is, yeah, I'll wrap it up. The last thing I'll say is there's like a good government extension, I think, on how you're like the leader of the military, right? You're like the guy, one who leads everyone. Um, and on the gov extension i think you can say rather than running the same kind of benefits you can talk about how you particularly care about your soldiers and your brethren and why you want to fight alongside them and why you being the leader means that they're going to uh have much better morale probably be able to fight better and actually be able to go and these are your people that you want to stay alongside to the end of your life and why that's particularly valuable it's right thing you can run okay cool yeah that's a little bit short but i can talk like well i'm not going to talk about it more but uh if you're interested try try making that out all right so we have reached the end. It, I think we've been going for over two hours. Thank you guys so much for your time. 
Um, and that was the overview of the Queen's Motions and the Queen's Tournament. Um, I hope everyone here listening has had a good time uh, listening. Do you guys have any shout-outs for any people? Um, not a shout-out, but like one last thing to say, don't cut this out. The moral of the story for how to win finals is to read more fan fictions on Greek mythology. But you didn't win. Josh, you were close. Yeah. Good I would it's not good. take that. Like, I'm pretty I sure would... that distracted you from the more more strategically important argument because you just ran OG with more spec. More spec and, and slightly fewer mechanisms. It's fine, it's fine but like, I like the case. The I case was it. cool. I love the case. It was it was a lit case to hear. Yeah. Nah, shout out to Alina because I told her I was going to shout her out in a thank you speech, but then I remembered I don't care about thank you speeches, so I just ditched it. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I don't care about sending you speeches, but thank you, Eddie, for carrying me. To be fair, I didn't give a thank you speech either, but like, Sarah, you better give me one at her house. See, me and Andy just have that much better. Alina, if we make finals at her house again, I gotta keep the placard. Like, that's the deal. But that's how we're gonna win, so you know, I can take home a trophy as well. (laughs) Yeah, so Big talk, big talk. Wait, did you guys make finals open last year? Or junior? No. Last year at Heart House, I have no clue. I have like That's zero. Oh, house. again, I mean, like because like, you made finals at Queens. Oh, that makes sense. Sorry, yeah. I made hidden quarters, which is really sad because I got knocked out by Stu and Dylan. Nah. And also yeah, Team I Canada. I got also I got knocked out by Stu and Dylan, and I think Annie and Alex. Ah, uh, that is a rough room. Well, there That's won't be fair. Annie or Alex. To be fair though, like last year I wasn't really good at either. Like I think last year, like I made semis at Queens because like Richard carried, and then that was it. Like, I didn't really do much. Yeah. I just, I like, like, I got decent speaks for Heart House, so I have, like, decent memories of it, but kind of sad. Good speaks, good memories. All right, cool. Sounds like all that didn't want to help have any last shout-outs. Julian, I got a shout-out, Jason. I got a shout-out. Yeah, yeah. I got a shout-out for Jason Fu with his incredible amount of FOMO. <laughs> Makes me feel like I was having a lot of fun. And I also got a shout out for Julian because he did make it a lot of fun. Shout out to the people who bought me bubble tea and cakes and the people who offered but didn't get it for me because the machine broke. Shout out to Jessica and the Starbucks next to Queens. I love that place. Alina, what happened to Dennis promising to get you bubble tea? Did he lie? The machine broke. Oh, uh, that's what they all say. Alrighty, we'll cut it there. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, go listen to our other podcast too if you enjoyed. And uh, yeah, we'll see you at Hard House in one week and one two two days. Uh, we're making a podcast on that, so uh, tune around for that one. And uh, yeah, best of luck in future tournaments. Thanks for having you guys. And uh, yeah, best of luck in your debating career. All right, we done. Wait, wait, wait. Tell me about the story. The story. The story. The story. Okay. Wait, uh, you didn't end wait. it. You you usually end your podcast differently. Oh, 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 oh. And, thanks for listening. And thanks for listening. And tune in for another episode of the BTT podcast. Ah, oh, facts and facts. Wait, leave that at the end. <laughs> That's a fire ending. All right, yeah, it's ended. All right, what's up? Okay, okay, Wait, okay. Tell me very briefly. Is this still recording? Is this still recording? No. Like, completely? Oh. Like, there's no record of this. Okay, so I'm going to be honest to you. So there's a slight glitch 
where for your audio track, it doesn't record the last five seconds or so. So I'm actually still recording right now, but I'm going to click the stop recording button.